Welcome back, everyone. Yeah, welcome back. Excited to do this one for you guys. It's on the list, folks. You know it. Desperado, why don't you come to your senses? You've been out riding fences for so long now. Oh, you're a hard one. I know that you got your reasons. These things that are pleasing you can hurt you somehow. Don't you draw the queen of diamonds, boy. She'll beat you if she's able. Now the queen of hearts is always your best bet. Now it seems to me some fine things have been laid upon your table. But you only want the ones that you can't get Desperado Oh, you ain't getting no younger Your pain and your hunger They're driving you home And freedom, oh freedom well, that's just some people talking. Your prison is walking through this world all alone. Don't your feet go cold in the winter time? The sky won't snow and the sun won't shine. It's hard to tell the nighttime from the day you're losing all your highs and lows ain't it funny how the feeling goes desperado why don't you come to your senses down from your fences open the gate it may be raining but there's a rainbow above you you better let somebody love you let, let somebody, somebody love, love you. you better let somebody love you For it's too late. Uh, so what my plan originally was to do, <laughs> what my plan originally was to do was to say, you better let somebody fuck you instead and that be the only change of the song <laughs> and you fucked but, it up no i just decided i wanted to sing the song instead because i just right. didn't know if it would hit or not so you know what would I'd be fun 
What would be you fun? Know what I want to let me. Tr- let, how do you feel about this? Just workshopping it on the show as as we're recording. What if I put strategic like bleeps to make it sound like it was dirty? You know, like kind of doing audio sent, like audio kind of audio entendre almost. So like like you some better hilarious- let somebody bought you before it's too late. So like that hilarious, Jim- like that hilarious Jimmy Kimmel bit where it's like on censoring uh, inappropriate. What is that bit that he did on his show? Inappropriate censoring or something or like this week? I don't. <laughs> Probably. I, I just know. I don't know. I just know. The, my my only known Jimmy Kimmel bit is when he uh, makes kid uh, parents be mean to their kids. Uh, that's one of his on faves. Video. That's <laughs> one of his faves. He thinks that's really funny. Um, I just Which, I don't uh, want you to do that though, Mason. To be honest okay. with you, because I was like, well, so here's here's what happened. So I knew like the last three weeks I've done a full song parody. Last week yeah. was Basket yeah. Case. I don't remember what it was the week before. Do you? Uh, it was. Oh, I don't remember because I did. I love you always for, forever. The week prior to that, four yeah. weeks ago, I think. Yeah. The week after that. I don't remember, and then last week you did do the full basket song parody. Uh, it was what was I think I have it fucking right here. It was uh oh, it was the Johnny B. Good. It was Johnny. Oh, B. that's right, that's right, yeah. that's right, that's right. So I was like, for because I knew I wanted to do a third one just to like tie it all together and then stop doing full song parodies <laughs> at the beginning Great. of the show because it just Great. sucks. So yeah, bad. yeah, that's a lot of work. That's a lot of work to put into a podcast. But hey, I'm not a, I'm not opposed to putting in work to a podcast. I don't want people thinking that I'm opposed <laughs> to putting in hard work. But I was like, you know, what would be like at first I was like, oh, I'll just say you better let somebody fuck you. But I didn't know if that was like enough of a zinger. I feel like live yeah. that might be better, but over a podcast it might just come across as like, why did you say that? So I was right. feeling like insecure about that or not. So I'm like, what if I just sang the entire song <laughs> as it's supposed to be sung for the first time ever? And I had a great time doing it. I thought it was fun. I think that I was so I'm you know what? Now that we are on the other side of that, I'm really happy that that's how you decided to end this full song parody bit. Uh, what's <laughs> what's in store for you next week for next song parody? Maybe like one line. <laughs> that would be really song. Yeah, it was yeah. it's just you do a parody of the song Tequila, but it's just you saying Stewie or something. I don't know. <laughs> or you're saying uh okay. Peggy Hell. <laughs> I, that's pretty like good. That. <laughs> that's pretty oh, good, no. Mason. What happened? Alright. Sorry, I just got zoomed for a second. On your side, Noah, it no. zoomed for you for a change, but we're back and going again. Thank God. That's all this chaos. Thank fucking God. Hey, guest, why don't you just wait a second? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> why, don't you just, why don't you just wait a gosh darn minute? Because I have to do this first. Okay. Yeah. Welcome to It's On The List. This is the show Woo. about underrated albums, movies, and much, much more. The much, much more is Noah doing the entirety of Desperado <laughs> by the Eagles and not doing a parody for the first time in his life. But that is, I think that's in the past. I think I'm back to doing partial song parodies of songs there we go. that we all know and love, even though I think most people know Desperado. But either way, uh, you're hearing from Thing One, a.k.a. Noah Marger, a.k.a. The Funny Talking Baby, and with me as always is my co-host, Mason McGuire, a.k.a. The Funny Talking Dog, a.k.a. Sleepy Joe Biden, a.k.a. X-Gone, give it to you. What's up, Mason? 
Uh, it is a chilly, 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 chilly February in Chicago. I've been inside a lot because anytime I go outside, I just feel like I'm going to die. And I don't yeah. like that. I like to be inside drinking hot cocoa. So I've been drinking a lot of hot cocoa recently. It's been fun. It's been a good treat. Noah. Yeah. How you doing, bud? Doing good. It's about to it's about to snow here in Portland. Actually, it's gonna snow nice. uh, these next couple days. That were as of a recording, the snow will probably be gone by the time this comes out. At least I'm hoping it will, because I get out of that, try to get out of the house every day. But hell no, I'm not going around walking around in the gosh dang snow. You know yeah. me. I'm not doing that. I don't like that shit. But no, thank uh, you. Otherwise, doing all right. I think all of us are maybe a little tired today. Yeah. Uh, so maybe we got maybe we got the tired boys back this week. Who knows? Back and better than fucking ever, baby. We're doing it. We got the we got the seasonal affective disorders going on in the house tonight. Let's get yeah. it. Let's get it going. Let's get it going for our vitamin D lamps. Let's get it going for our uh, for our Himalayan salt rocks. Himalayan salt rocks. Let's get it going for essential oils. Uh, let's get it going for hot boxing your bathroom. Let's give it up, folks. Let's, let's give, give it, it up. up. Let's give it up. Let's fucking do it, folks. And joining us as one of the tired boys in gallery view, as <laughs> opposed to speaker view, which I usually use for some reason on the Zoom call, but we're going gallery view tonight, uh, making his triumphant return to the podcast. This man was one of our first guests ever. Back when we all lived in L.A. pre-COVID, when I used to give Mason a big fat wet kiss immediately before hitting record. Now Mm -hmm. I have to just send him a photo of my dick. That's not a joke. (laughs) Our guest today (laughs) is a director who's directed some of your favorite music videos. Some of those include Dante Elefante's Las Vegas, Maya Lucia's Sad Girl, and Claire's Cryberry. Fuck, I did that when I was reading it to you, too. Crybaby. Claire's Crybaby. Uh, and if narrative is more your speed, his shorts rock too. Not just his shorts, but also his movies. Those include Horse Girl, starring yours truly. That's right, I was actually in that movie. And Planet Cosmo. Very delighted to have this man back. In my opinion, it's been far too long since we had him back last time, even though he did pop in for our one-year anniversary. He's back for a full show. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to the show, Mr. Jack Campisi. Hello, sir. Hello. Thank you for having me. Now I'm the one who lives in L.A. Uh, weather update yeah. for L.A. It's pretty moderate. It's actually kind of cold right now, but I don't know. It's got to be in the 50s or 60s. Damn. Not, Sounds not preferable to 14 degrees. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'll take that shit. I will take that shit over what's happening here. I'm not 14 degrees. I'm somewhere in the middle. I think it was 35 degrees today. So. Still sounds preferable to 14 degrees. <laughs> Is there a wind chill in Chicago? I mean, it's the Windy City. That's a dumb. Oh, we question. definitely do have the wind chill. I can't tell you what the wind chill is right now. I just look at my weather app in the morning, and I see that it's 14 degrees, and I'm like, great. Sounds good. I'm staying inside today. That's what I'm. the notice that I'm getting. Don't know the wind chill. I did just realize, though, uh, that uh, Colin, roommate Colin's TV has the cable hooked up, so maybe I'll get back on the morning tv route and i'll be able to give you with the weather stuff like that yeah it's, it's dangerous well jack we're all i we all mason and i are self-professed tired boys but you're a little bit of a tired boy joining us today what is the reason for you being a little bit tired today i am prepping for a music video that we're doing this weekend with uh winston salk himself shout out uh shouts out 
He, he does some solo music, and we've been trying to make this for, I guess, since like last summer, since we moved into this new house in L.A. There was a great, we have a great porch. We're building a little room on there, uh, keeping it small. There's only going to be like three people. So, and we can all, you know, big space. We can all like socially distance and still do this. So I'm excited to finally make it. Yeah. But been moving furniture with Jack Masura all day. Shout out to Jack Masura. We love to get Jack. We gotta love to get another Jack in the mix on this episode, and I'm happy that it's Jack Masura. Uh, mostly, you said a, a couch was probably your biggest enemy today, right? Is that fair to say? Yeah, uh, yeah. we we had to take the door off of Jack Masura's house. It's his couch. Damn. Okay. What is entailed with taking a door off? Is that literally just unscrewing it from the hinges, or what? First, we started to try to push the pins out, like of the of the hinge so to, to do it that way having some troubles and then we ended up unscrewing every single screw from the actual hinge holy shit you guys are a couple of fucking couple of fucking madmen. okay what are you on what are you on home improvement <laughs> what yeah. are you on wall street Wait, <laughs> no. what is, who are you madison avenue <laughs> what are any you don old, draper <laughs> any of this old house heads in the house that caught my bob vila reference nope <laughs> damn it <laughs> sorry dude heads, what is bad. that that was appointment television for my father every Sunday evening. It was like it was on PBS, I think, or some other channel like that, and it would just be like dads and tucked in flannels talking about home improvement tips and stuff. Loved it. The host was Bob Vila for a while, then it was some other guy. I don't know. That's just that, that should just be on the name. list. <laughs> that, this that old sh- house. <laughs> yeah, if my dad ever came on this podcast, he would probably talk about this old house. That's not uh. true, but I like to think it would be. That sounds like some of my, like, an uncle shit. Like, that sounds like uncle vibes. Like, there's cottage yeah. core, and then there's uncle core. <laughs> and like, this old house sounds like uncle core to me. Have you guys ever well, thought my- about uh, bringing the parents on the show at any point? Mm. <laughs> Not uh, we have parents, talked about bringing. We have talked about bringing some family on the siblings, show. Siblings, maybe? Not parents. Okay. Yeah, maybe. Siblings. Maybe siblings. All right. Who knows? Maybe, maybe in the we'll future. See. Yeah. Resources. Well, you want, can I bring, can I bring, I'm not going to, I almost doxed someone in your life, Jack. Can I bring your dad on the show, Jack? Would he do that? Maybe. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. If he's got <laughs> a free night, I'm sure he would. I bet, I think a lot of people have a lot of free nights right now, is True. what it sounds like. We're still in a pandemic. I know. Woo-hoo. Thumbs then, up if you're still listening to this in a pandemic, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Like this if you're listening into 2026 and you have COVID-19 and it's not a big deal. Yeah, that's the fucking that's the fucking goal. Uh, yeah, we're all a little tired. I'm a little tired because I did not get great sleep last night because I drove to Rockaway Beach, Oregon and uh, stayed in an Airbnb with my sister and my mom for one night uh, and slept like kind of dog shit, but a little bit better than I thought it would be. So I was expecting to get maybe like four or five hours of sleep. Got about six and a half, seven. So can't okay. really complain that much, but still try to get a solid eight during the night, which is what I actually normally get. So pretty cool. Mm-hmm. But I am a little tired for that reason. Uh, so that's my reason for being tired. I am tired boy as well. Gotcha. Mason, what's your uh, excuse? I, uh, I have a uh, full-time job that is absolute. Uh, it is very hard right now. Not a lot of fun to be working my job. Uh and I'm just otherwise in the indoor sadness. I miss my friends. <laughs> I miss going outside. Uh, even though the weather's shitty, you know, in the winter it's nice. You could still have your friends over for some indoor fun activities like watching a movie. 
maybe cooking a nice potluck, getting some cider together. I don't know. Uh, Anymore. Nope. Very. I am stuck in a. It is. I am just stuck in a uh, routine. It is fine. The winter will thaw eventually. We will be out of this pandemic. It will be fun again. But right now. It's just big suck. I will say, though, I'm making some real progress through Dune, and I'm really enjoying reading Dune. So that's wow. something that's, that's Jack Masura just happy. finished book five. No shit. I just got the second book. Uh, it will be delivered to me tomorrow. I'm very excited about uh, reading that when I get a chance. I don't know. You know, it's, it's shitty. It's stuck in a routine, but I'm like, finding being able to find time to read again is very nice. You Me know? too. I I haven't read this much since I was a kid. I haven't played this many video games since I was a kid. Yeah, I just same. have so much time to do that now, and I'm so thankful that I'm able to because I'm like, oh, fuck, I can't believe... Like, I haven't done this and or made time for it because I miss it so much, and it's so important. I was thinking about that aspect of things, like, earlier this morning. Uh, there are obviously... Yeah, everyone's trying to make the best of a bad situation with the pandemic still being a thing and being not arguably just factually worse than it was when everyone was mostly scared about it in the beginning. Mm. Uh, but I will say there have some silver linings for me at least have been like, damn, I love playing video games and I have time to play video games now because that's kind of where we're at with things. When you're not working, quote unquote, what are you doing? Well, you're probably reading, you're probably playing video games, you're probably catching up on shows or movies. And when the pandemic, quote unquote, ends... I think there's going to be part of me that's going to kind of miss that element of it a little bit, if I'm being totally yeah. honest with myself, you know? Yeah, I think what's not, I think it's not impossible to think that there'd be a balance that be, could be struck, you know? I think there's going to be a rush of, like, post-pandemic activity, just like, you know? For sure. You know, hanging out with friends, sucking in fucking strangers, and then once we get tired of that, it's going to be like, okay, now maybe we should be finding a way to balance video game and reading and just play time with. Uh, That's weird you that know, you would talk else. about your job like that, like it's an activity, sucking What's, in fucking strangers. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, <laughs> shh, shh, shh. <laughs> 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 Sorry, I didn't realize that was off limits. <laughs> we didn't talk about the fact that we're not supposed to discuss your job on the podcast. <laughs> So. Yeah, my, uh, 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 you know, my, god damn it, I can't. It's not really a nine to five, it's more like a nine to nine ten if you're lucky, so that's what I'll say. That's... <laughs> <laughs> uh... <laughs> yeah, I can't really refute that, but I don't think. I'm not actually a sex worker, no disrespect to real sex workers, but I don't want to steal their valor, so. Uh... <laughs> I'm not stealing their valor, I'm just saying, no, I don't know why I you don't want. to placing that on me. <laughs> I don't know why you don't want to no, admit people that that's your job. looking for my fucking OnlyFans that doesn't exist, you know? Venmo we gotta get a Patreon. We gotta get a Patreon going before we get the Mason OnlyFans. So it's baby steps, one step at a time. I, mean, I, I think you could just skip the Patreon, honestly. Like Patreon's old news <laughs> at this point. Yeah, Patreon is old news. What if we That's did? True. What if we just did what would be on the Patreon, but on OnlyFans? So it's like it's on the list has OnlyFans, but instead of posting nudes of ourselves, it's fucking extra, extra content. content. Yeah, yeah, bonus episodes. Of That'd be pretty tight. Uh, I hope no one steals that idea and does it before we do. <laughs> I don't think that it was our idea to say it was original. <laughs> probably, probably. Ultimately. Whatever. Speaking of original, trying to get us out of this. Uh, <laughs> no, no. No, don't, don't get us out of this. No, stay here. Uh, we have two guest choices this week uh, from Jack. Let's talk about that album first. Technically, 
Jack went into the secret area of It's on the List. He did a cheat code, and he, he did the Konami code for It's on the List, and he said, uh, Mason and Noah, can I uh, see your guys's It's on the List lists? And we said, we of go. course. Okay. It's kind of like the secret menu for this show, kind of like how In-N-Out is a secret menu. This is the secret menu for this show. And he did look at it. And I believe that this pick is off my music list. Is that correct, Jack? Yeah, it was off yours. Yeah. So what are we talking about today? We're talking about 2018 Twin Fantasy by Carsey Headrest. Snap, 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 snap. Jack, why'd you pick this off the secret list? And why'd you go for the secret list in the first place? Went for the secret list because I was thinking, okay, maybe I could find something that's on your list that I've also wanted to really dig into and talk about um, and listen to a lot more. And... My first, my gut instinct was saying, okay, maybe Teens of Denial by Carsey Headress. Like, I could definitely talk extensively about that album. Mm. It's one of my favorites. It's, it, like, holds a special place in my heart. But then I saw Twin Fantasy on your list, and I thought to myself, like, okay, that could be interesting because I, I love that album itself, but, I'd, I, but I would love to, like, compare it and listen to the 2011 version um, and just you know, do a deep dive into that and sure. ha have a discussion about it. So I, I think that was the main draw to it. It's just, uh, it's an interesting, like, um, kind of breakout album in the, for Will Toledo and Carsey Headrest when it was still kind of, you know, band camp before he got signed. That was like a big deal in, you know, his communities and stuff like that. So I, and the, the act of him remaking it um, in 2018 after the success of, uh, teens of Denial, I thought was just a really cool approach that I'd never really seen before. Yeah, it's not every single day that someone redoes a previous album. I don't even know if I can think of an example of that off the top of my head. Can you guys, other than this album? It's a complete uh, overhaul. It's so different that I, 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 I cannot. Mm. I, Hitchcock, and you know, it's been a thing that some directors have done. Hitchcock did it with Man Who Knew sure. Too Much and, and Michael Hanukkah. Uh, Mikhail Hanukkah did it with Funny Games. And I think, like, his last movie was kind of like a small clip show of every single movie he's made. I don't know. But I can't... Right now, I'm having difficulty coming up with a, um, like, uh, an, uh, an album-length version of this. Um, I feel like Peter Gabriel has, like, a version of an album that's just, like, him recovering his old songs, but it's not, like, a new approach to the same album. Um, yeah, I have no idea. Yeah, I don't either. It's It really is like a very unique situation. And although, I don't know, I would say probably this album from Car Seat Headrest is probably where most people start with him slash maybe his most well-known. But I don't even know really how well-known Will Toledo slash Car Seat Headrest as a project really is because personally, mm -hmm. I didn't even really know about Car Seat Headrest until like later college because actually past guest and friend of this show, Claire Epting would talk to me about car seat headrest. Like she would be like, have you heard this album? Do you know who this guy is? And I'm like, I like every single time I would be like, no. And then she would talk for 20 minutes straight without stopping <laughs> being like, well, here's what I like and blah, 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 all this stuff. And I was like, Oh damn, that's cool. And I just like the name car seat headrest always stuck in my head as something where I was like, that's a very, catchy name that's a very different name that really stands out to me uh but i don't even think i really explored this album personally until like 
Honestly, Jack, maybe until you and I recorded our episode about modern baseball on my favorite podcast, to be honest with you. Uh, but we can get into that here in just a sec. But what is your relationship to this album and Car Seat Headrest as a whole, Jack? My relationship to them was, you know, I when Teens of Denial came out, it was right when I was graduating high school. So I was yes. ju- just on oh, the cusp wow. of moving out to California. Like, I knew I was doing that. It was the last summer um, that I had with my friends before I left. So that was, like, really surreal. And I was listening to this album a lot showing it to my friends they were all like okay that's cool whatever like like not really a big deal yeah um and so it, it like was really special to me and then one of the first times i hung out with jack masura meeting him at college it was like on sirius xm and he was like oh yeah i love carsey headrest and i was like you know who carsey headrest is like, Damn. The fu-? like it, it was like this instant like oh fuck like, like this is awesome um and then so yeah, I mean, that was 2016, and I just poured over that record, and I listened to it so much, and I still do to this day. Um, and then I, I, I kind of got into some of their earlier discography to a certain extent, but it was also very daunting, because I think at that point there were like seven or eight albums. And I listened to them, and they're, they were very different. Um, they're, they're all very lo-fi. They're all very, right. um, you know, scrappy. It's all, it's Will Toledo doing it all himself, like in his dorm room when he was in college, which is insane. And I I think they, they have the heart to it and they have that, um, stuff that I see throughout. It's kind of like a through line, but it wasn't the same kind of production. And, and obviously like he didn't have those kind of resources at his disposal. Then he's, you know, wearing so many hats, doing so much of the production himself. And so as soon as he gets signed to Matador, then he starts, then he does Teens of Style, which I also really liked, and obviously Teens of Denial. So I, I, I did listen to Twin Fantasy, I think, when I was kind of getting into them, but I, um, the 2011 version, but I didn't really pay it too much of attention because it, like, it's honestly, like, not the easiest to listen to, to some really extent. Not. Like, I, I think I appreciate it so much more because of the 2018 version and listening to them side by side. I'm like, okay, there's a blueprint here. Like, like not yeah. that it was all fully fleshed out, but, like, it was all there from the get-go, and it was, it's so cool to, as an artist, for him to like go back and recontextualize everything and, and like f- have it be fully fleshed out like he had always wanted it to. So I don't know if I ever really got into Twin Fantasy until it was re-released, and then sure. the act of going back and listening to t- the 2011 version, I had like more respect for it. But I don't know if I'd ever really listened to them side-by-side side until... I was, you know, prepping and listening this past week before coming on this show. I listened to them separately and like they all they seemed like separate entities because they are so different even though for the most part they are the same songs. But listening to them side by side, that's what I was really recognizing was that like a lot of it is there in the 2011 version. It's just not like fully actualized and mainly just because of his, like you know the lack of resources that he had around that time. I have to imagine. Mason- well, well, let's dive. We'll talk in about the actual album itself here in just a sec, and actually talk about like some of the actual literal differences. But Mason, what is your, if any, relationship to Carsey Harris and Will Toledo? So it's funny that you mentioned Teens of Denial as an album that came out when you were graduating high school, because that was 2016, and it was coming out when I was graduating college. Um, <clears throat> I think that there's like, so I first heard of um, Carsey Harris in this project in 2016 early 2016 um i was it was right before i was moving to la right before so it was like end of february early march 2016 and i was listening to 
It was either All Songs Considered or it was Pop Culture Happy Hour. I listened to a lot of NPR podcasts back in the day. Let's and go, I remember, Yeah, and I remember uh, it might have been a South by Southwest preview show, and I feel like Car Seat Hydros was going to play a set there. And um, Stephen Thompson, if my memory serves me correctly, brought on uh, the song Vincent off of Teens of Denial, which was just like, you know, seven minute long bruiser of a song. Uh, I listened to it. I'm like, this is really cool. I really like this. And I, I tried to listen to the album and I liked it, but it just couldn't like hook me, you know, um, not that I disliked it, but it was just like, I'm enjoying, you know, listening to this, but nothing is particularly sticking aside from Vincent, the song that I already know that I really like. Sure. Uh, and then car seat headrest. I think the algorithm recognized my attempts and was always recommend me car seat headrest songs off of different albums and all the ones that i listened to i liked i just could never find my way into like an album project um i think just because you look at them and there's uh, a ton (laughs) and they're all pretty they're all not super super long but they do feel like okay like you gotta give my time to this and then he i realized that you know will toledo and car seat headrest was this project this kind of thing that had a lot of mystique around it and any time that i see that i'm also like I don't know what to, I get a little intimidated um, uh, when there's like kind of a small cult following around this guy. Sure. And I didn't realize it until I was reading the, um, the, the notes on genius about this, that he was a, is, was, or is a close friend with Kate Wirtz, who I supported on Patreon for about a year before I realized that I wasn't actually reading the content and needed that extra buck or two back. Um, Taking from the mouths of the needy and giving them back to yourself. Let's go. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not not to say that that's a thing that I did that I am proud of, but it was, I was reading this name. Kate Wirtz popped up. I'm like, I thought that I could contribute it to their Patreon. Holy shit. Um, Who is Kate? I've never heard that name before. uh, She's a, Cart, like a, uh, a cartoonist she had this this uh, this webcomic uh, like a, a graphic artist and she had this webcomic called Crow Killers I think C-I-L-L-E-R-S um, and I it came into my field of vision and I liked it enough where I was like okay I'll support this this artist um, but then every now I would forget that I get though would subscribe to that and then I get an email being like Kate Words just posted a new comic on Patreon and I'm like Okay, I mean, I don't, I that's that's nice. It just like kind of got filed away, and I never right. actually sat down and read it. But you know, she got my hard-earned money for, for the better part of the year. Yeah, baby. Um, so I don't know, but the the there's references. I think that she's very close friends with Will Toledo. There's references to um, her work throughout this album in particular that I realized I didn't catch up on. They they to some extent. I don't know if it was during this album or before. I'm pretty sure we're like romantically involved to some extent oh interesting and okay. and i know that she did some artwork for past records and i think the most Didn't their the most artist, recent the one for this one um no i think it was like a sketch that will did that maybe she like fleshed out or something i'm not exactly too sure about oh, this okay. one but she did um making a door less open their 2020 um album art and i think maybe some other uh, like supplemental things here and there interesting interesting okay is that your entire history with, uh, more with or less? Yeah. yeah. And so I think I, this is the first, cause I don't even think that I finished listening to teams of denial. Like I'm just looking at it on my Spotify right now. And, Oh, actually I know drunk drivers, killer whales. That was the other thing because there's a great video of Adam driver going ham to that song. Oh, that video is uh, great. <laughs> yeah. He's just like dancing, singing along and Channing Tatum's here and he, there too. And he's just sort of like dancing around. It's, 
Yeah, Adam Driver really fucks with car seat headrests, apparently, which is pretty cool. More like um, drunk it, Adam Driver's whale killers. Killer. killer. Mm. Okay, something okay. there. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> that about, maybe. yeah, that about covers it for me with car seat headrests, though. But no, since this was on your list, yeah. I'm going to guess that this album, if not car seat headrests as a whole, has a little bit of a significance for you. Well... It uh, Mason's doing the evil thing where he puts his hat way further down. And before we started recording, he said, what if I did that while we were recording? I was like, that would fucking suck. I think you're kind of a shithole if you did that. <laughs> and he's doing it now. So guess what? Shithole mode. Going plain emoji shithole mode for Mason McGuire on the pod. Um, no. So I think out of the three of us, I have the least experience with oh, car okay. seat headrest under my belt. I just fucking love this album. I think this album is like, I and I. This might sound if you've never heard Car Seat Headrest before, and you're listening to this, or if you're listening to this because Jack's on the show and you hate Mason and I. This is gonna sound yeah. like an insane thing to say, but I I genuinely believe what I'm about to say here. And although Car Seat Headrest is actually the opposite of this band in the sense that he is very pro- prolific and the band and the project is very prolific, and Neutral Milk Hotel was not prolific. I think we are going to think about 2018 Twin Fantasy in a couple years, 10, 15 years, the way that we think about in an aeroplane over the sea. I really think it's, like, that good. Like, I really think that it's, like, that together and that special of a listen. That album, In an Aeroplane Over the Sea, has a lot of significance for a lot of people. I remember for the very brief time that I was on Tumblr that I would constantly see that uh, album cover just sort of reblogged, and then I was like, this is a really terrible <laughs> website, and I need to get off as fast as I can. Uh, so I went to Twitter instead, which, surprise, surprise, somehow even worse. <laughs> but, but You should check uh, out this great website I know called 4chan.org. Well, really that's for a nice community. <laughs> well, if I want to listen to more music like this, maybe I should. It might be because a place that's to find it, yeah. It because this is this 4chan and Reddit were the places where the 2011 version of this album gained traction. Uh, but just to go back quickly to what I was saying before, I think this album is so good. Like I just think it's like yeah, I'm yeah. not going to call it a masterpiece because I think it's just not far enough away from its like initial real release even though we've had a version of it since 2011 but i just think it's such a powerful listen about breakups love and the breakup as sort of a vehicle to like explore like the death of oneself not a literal death but like a metaphorical death and i think it's really just a powerful statement on that especially the last two tracks on this album and so eventually I wanted to bring it on it was actually kind of a borderline album for me as far as I don't even know if this is something I should put on the list to talk about on this show because it's not the most underrated thing or the most like not heard of thing but I think it's one of those things that if you haven't heard it it's absolutely worth at least one listen even if you don't like post-punk or emo or lo-fi rock or whatever you want to call this album or this so that's why it was on my list i'm really glad you picked it jack because i just really think this is a really special album uh and weirdly it reminds me a lot and mason i don't know if you'll get this even though i talk about it on the show a lot but jack i know you will this album reminds me of neon genesis evangelion does that mean anything to you does that make sense or does that seem insane You know who this al- what this album reminded me of? Well, Jack Chew's on this. Yeah. This is what I was thinking of when I was hearing this. 
this kind of I think that the reason why car seat headrest couldn't hook in me the same way that it did for a lot of people that I guess you know were younger than me I'm a millennial you guys are millennial Gen Z cusps Jack might actually be a Gen Z I don't know that for sure Jack was but, born the same year I was buddy so he's so a cusper and Gen Z cusps. Okay. yeah 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 do okay. not get it fucking twisted so and I think I think this guy is a cusper uh, this guy Will Toledo this band car seat headrest for me though. This guy was giving me heavy, hitting me heavy on the Sufjan Stevens vibes. Okay, I don't see that really at In all. In terms but of I'm like his vocal heavy. performance, I think that if you listen to uh, his vocal performance, I think his lyrics, I think that his like kind of thematic interests, the way that he uses imagery, and I think that his kind of production also, um, especially like the Illinois album, I also think that this is kind of a he age of ads also came to mind um especially the last uh track uh, i i like uh impossible soul which is a very long and good sufjan Stevens song and uh on this album i was kind of listening to it they're not the they're not the exact same like kind of vibe i'll say but just the uh just the way that you listen to it it's a long ass song and you feel exhausted but also like so um the, word, the song I'm thinking of is Famous Prophet Stars. Um, yeah, yep. That song is the best. That song rocks. Very cool. 16 minutes long. You love to see it. I don't know. Kind of just reminded me of a um, like a band camp era, kind of like Sufjan Stevens, you know, like just kind of came up through that particular um, thing. That was just me. He popped into my mind when I was listening to this album the second time. And I was like, okay, here we go. Like this. And that's just, uh, yeah, that's that's where I got on that. Jack, just to go back to my insane comparison between this album and Neon Genesis Evangelion, is do you do you at all understand that comparison at all? Does that make any sense to you, or does that just seem uh, not, like really awful? I I don't want to say it's awful. I'm interested to hear like why or what your thinking is there. That's not what I was like attributing it to, but I also consumed both of these very separately and was at like very different parts of my life when I was watching Neon Genesis or listening to this album. So I don't know. Yeah, go for it. I was just going to say, in a meta sense, you have the series, Neon Genesis Evangelion, and then you have End of Evangelion. And End of Evangelion is quite literally a retelling of the last two episodes of the series, uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion. The, The album... Twin Fantasy was remade in 2018 from a previous version in 2011. So there's that meta element of it as well. But that's not even really the reason why they remind me of each other. Because to me, Neon Neon Genesis Evangelion, specifically probably End of Evangelion, is just this absolute crushing look at, like, insecurity and self. And in that, it's like insecurity and self, but I have to get in this mech fucking thing and fight, you know, giant uh, demon monsters, basically, that are going to destroy Neo Tokyo, or Tokyo, is it Tokyo 3? Is that where we are in Neon in, Genesis? In the timeline? I don't, I don't remember. Whoever. From some fucked up weird version of Tokyo in the future. Not so distant future, after all. Uh, <laughs> but... Uh, that is what to me neon genesis evangelion is about is just this really tough harsh look at like growing up and like facing fears and like realizing that like you are so much more than yourself but also you are just one person and to me i have the sort of same experience listening to especially the last two tracks on this album this is about a relationship very clearly about a relationship this album 
uh, is Twin Fantasy. And it just kind of, for me, goes through the motions of like, this is what our relationship was. This is sort of where things went wrong. And it's almost this dissection, this hindsight dissection of this relationship and what went wrong. And to me, it's kind of the same effect of like, this is who, this is a death of who I thought I was. And that's the same thing for me in End of Evangelion and the end of Neon Genesis Evangelion. So that's why they kind of make comparisons for me there. I, didn't, I know you watched the show, and so I thought maybe you would, maybe, maybe there was a glimmer of hope that you would attach yourself L- to that Little glimmer now that you've kind of talked about it. Um, I'm coming around to it. Maybe I'll work on my like fan edit cutting uh, <laughs> Neon Genesis to, to Twin Fantasy. We'll see. I don't know. I, I don't want to get too out of myself. Yeah, that's fair. But uh, as, enough talking about fucking anime, some bullshit fucking anime from the yeah, let's 90s. Let's talk about Sushant Steven some more, actually. Uh, <laughs> mm. Jack, what do you actually like about the songs on this album? What songs really speak to you? What do you like about this album as far as the actual album itself is concerned? All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into it from the beginning. My Boy is a crazy start because it's, yep. so, it, it's, it's like a lullaby almost. That's what I kind of feel like kicks off into beach life and death for 13 minutes and like never lets up and seeing that live the few times i've seen it has been an incredible experience i what happens to that song live um it, it's just so it's so many ups and downs and in, in the song and i don't know it's just like a, a great experience because it, it i don't know it's so many chapters almost and yeah so there's you know it, it goes into like another song and then and there is no like pause clapping cheering that you normally expect after a song. It's just right. like straight all the way through. Um, Stop Smoking I really love because, yeah. specifically because it's so short and also it's reprised later in High to Death, which I think is my favorite song, or one of, I don't know. I mean, it's so hard. Um, Sober to Death, Ner- Nervous Young and Humans, I feel like those are the more like accessible songs on this that are, I think Nervous Young and Humans was um the single that they pushed like there was there's a music video for it which that's i think so weird to me that that's the one they pushed because i think it's the worst song on the album really with you yeah that's my least favorite track it feels I, so uh, disjointed from everything else as far as sonic like sonic qualities are yeah concerned. but but i guess i'm trying to think of like a marketing perspective like i don't know like c- can you think of one of these songs that you would push as a single i'm not saying that was the right choice but maybe bodies which i, I was is, just about to say yeah. i think I bodies, say bodies even though it's yeah. 6 minutes and 47 seconds maybe, i think that's the yeah. one that you push is like this is the uh, this is the song this is the one that you're going to like this if you is like the that album. is the song if i had to definitively choose one that one live is crazy there's so many incredible builds and just moshing to that song and being like surrounded by an environment that is all it's so danceable, which I think is, is so unlike um, what a lot of the this music is for the most part. And listening to the original bodies is so stripped down and like all, it's like, like not so different, so different, not even really close to this. It, like it feels so full and explosive. And I just like get a fucking rush every time I listen to bodies. Um, cute thing is 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 really great. I love hi- I love High to Death so much, and I I've listened to it so much more over quarantine when I'm like really really low, and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing for me, but <laughs> I I almost attribute it to like it feels like an ego death. Like it starts off so like slow, and then the drums kick in. I'm like, fuck yes, oh my god, and then it just keeps building and building, and then there's all it, like it incorporates all these. Um, recordings of like the kids playing and, he, and he's saying like 
like, oh, Will, don't do that. I don't know. It's like it's like these memories coming back, and it's the, like this whole ego death craziness. It like totally just like becomes unhinged towards the end. There's that whole um, audio recording of that girl speaking. Yeah. And then and then yeah, I guess we've talked about the like you guys have talked about the last two songs. I almost see that as like a rebirth. Like the height of death is kind of like this whole like peak culmination, and then famous prophets and those voice twin fantasy feels like the next chapter. I, I don't know. It like leaves me hopeful some, for some reason. Mason, what about you? What, what stands out to you on this album as far as the songs and the so, instruments and stuff? So I was doing just some searching through my, uh, my like, I make playlists every month basically. And at the end of the year, I like, I kind of get everything together in one big playlist for the year. And I saw actually, cause I'm pretty sure that I put my boy to fantasy in a playlist. And I did at December, 2018, I actually put Bodies on a playlist in February of 2018. Damn. And it was such a treat to discover this song again because it just fucking rocks. Like, this is my favorite song on the album, big time. It's just, um, I was reading the lyrics, and it's just kind of him, like, um, uh, uh, like at a party trying to hit on somebody and, like, failing and i'm just like oh it, you know like that's a relatable thing you know definitely um uh, but it's like a fun song um uh, that you it, i i like that jack described the scene of like moshing to this because there's kind of nothing i want to do more when i hear this song than just like bump up against somebody very close to me just like kind of rock side to side and just bump into another body you know oh um hey there we go um I kind of uh, was, I liked the second half of this album more. Um, so starting after Nervous Young on Humans, I think that Bodies through Twin Fantasy, Those Boys. Is, is this pre- the first time pre- you've ever heard the album as a whole? I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. To my memory. Um, and uh, hearing it, uh, that last chunk was just pretty impeccable to me, especially, like I was saying, Famous Prophet stars. It just when that... Um, kind of turns uh uh how huge and kind of like a supernova that song um gets um it's it's really a remarkable thing to just have in your head and and experience over 16 minutes you know and it just um it makes you kind of really feel like what that time can be like i like that the album kind of ends my kind of read on it is one of the last lines is will you still be here when I return or something? And it's his way of kind of like, I like that the album ends on that note. I think that, you know, Jack said that it's just like kind of rebirthing. And I think that that's the, the right call here. Um, but when I hear this ending, I'm just like, he references, you know, um, will you still be here when I return or something, which is such an interesting last line for an album that he did come back and return yeah too you know um just kind of like even though he's bottled his feelings about this time in this initial album this initial twin fantasy um he felt the need to return to it and still mind that that feeling and so it's kind of like a reminder that the artistic processes and and, and feelings that you have that can inspire these creative things you know feelings memories all that stuff those, you know, if they're properly tended, don't necessarily go away. They just, you know, bloom and show themselves in, in, in other ways. Um, it would be interesting if he kept returning to this album. You know, the longer his, his life went, the more that he kind of experiences, the more that he thinks back on this time. Um, I'm happy with just, if the, if this is the final word, then I'm happy with that. But um, I think your initial question was, 
what songs stick out to me. I would just say like the kind of last half, starting from Bodies to the end, it's kind of yeah. a perfect album for me, even if I do really, really like and admire um, the first half of this. And I could take or leave Nervous Young and Humans, but maybe that one just needs another shot from me. Uh, Jack, when you were talking about, I guess, when you the way you say the ego death uh, of the song High to Death, mm-hmm. quite literally High to Death, but yeah. the ego death of that, I think that is what reminds me of Neon Genesis Evangelion. It totally. reminds me specifically of yeah. the end of Evangelion. Okay. The end yeah, of the yeah, end yeah. of Evangelion. I, I, I definitely know what you're talking about now. That, because for sure. You have all those things rushing back. You're thinking about your whole life basically mm-hmm. up until that point. All the sliding doors that could have influenced anything else and the position that you're in, which in this album is experiencing a breakup with someone that clearly he loved very much or had a lot of feelings for. Uh, and in End of Evangelion, it is the end of the world. <laughs> and yeah, what yeah, could I have yeah. done differently? Could I have done anything differently? This kid is put in this awful position where he basically has to do this thing you know, for a lot of really insane reasons. I don't want to spoil End of Evangelion or the show. It's absolutely worth a listen. But that's what I equate to End of Evangelion is High to Death, Famous Prophet Stars, which to me is like that insane sequence where you see the big head come up and you're in the theater, which is crazy. And then that last little bit, which six minutes and 45 seconds is normally a long song, but on this one it's like an average length song uh, for Twin Fantasy, Those Boys, which is just this sort of like nice little put to bed sort of, the earth is back, you know, the world, my world is back now and uh, it's it, things are not the same as they were, but we're going to trudge ahead, we're going to go forward with things, so uh, we could probably talk about this album for the entirety rest of the show. I feel like there's a lot to go through. But is there anything else that either of you really want to say? Because I do got some fast facts, and we do have to do the wrap-up things for this. But, Jack, is there anything else worth noting on uh, Twin Fantasy 2018? I think I've covered it, and you guys have touched on some interesting points as well. Um, are there any ones that stick out to you, Noah? I mean, Twin, or excuse me, Famous Prophet Stars, I think, is the one that really got me this time around. When I first listened to the album all the way through, My Boy and Bodies were sort of the two that I used to really go back to and sort of hold up dear Bodies because it is so raucous and so, like, external as opposed to a lot of the other songs on this, which are very internal. Uh, And then Stop Smoking, We Love You this time around really got me for some reason. It's the shortest song on the album. It's only 90 seconds long, but it really got me for whatever reason this time um, because it's so earnest, in what it's asking. It's very plain. It's very simple in what it's asking. And it actually reminded me a lot of the song Cancer from Welcome to the Black Parade. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that track off uh, Welcome to the Black Parade by My Chemical Romance. That song always surprises me because it's very stripped down. It's just piano and Gerard Way singing. And they're both very straightforward with their lyrics and straightforward with their goals of the song. Like, Stop smoking, we love you. The name of the action is in the song. Please stop smoking. I don't want you to die. Because if you keep doing this, you're going to die. In cancer, it's cancer's killing me. Cancer's killing me, and I'm going to die. And they're both songs about the idea that you will not be here anymore. And I just think there would be an interesting listen back to back. Both different as far as how they're stripped down within the context of the album. Cancer is just piano and vocals, whereas Stop Smoking is just guitar and vocals. But both, I think, are very interesting. But those last two songs, I mean, really those last three, High to Death, Famous Prophet Stars, and Twin Fantasy, those boys, that's the fucking... It's a journey the, in and of itself. Like, the front it to is, back yeah. it is, but then, yeah, as soon as High to Death kicks off, I'm like, there's no return from this. 
it's one of those things that if you're listening to it and you have to do something else, you can't not finish it before you have to return True. to your other thing. Mason, is there anything else from you on this, or can I dive into the fast facts? Let's get some facts going in the dang chat here. Let's do it. <laughs> Dude, I'm never going to ask you again <laughs> if that's how you're going to say it to me. Uh, but I got some fast facts for you guys about Twin Fantasy Face-to-Face and Mirror-to-Mirror, which are the 2011 and 2018 versions, respectively, and then there's Car Seat Headrest as a whole. Car Seat Headrest is an American indie rock band formed in Leesburg, Virginia, and is currently located in Seattle, Washington. The band consists of Will Toledo on vocals, guitar, piano, and synths, Ethan Ives on guitar, bass, and backing vocals, Seth Dalby on bass, and Andrew Katz on drums, percussion, and backing vocals. Beginning as a solo recording project by Toledo in 2010, Car Seat Headrest released 12 albums All on right. Bandcamp before All signing right. to Matador in 2015. That's fucking crazy. Actually, he's what, 28, 29 years old, right, Jack? Yeah, uh, no, he, he's only 26 or 27, I'm pretty sure. What? Yeah, a, a lot of, I, I'm pretty sure the, there's numbered albums that aren't on Spotify, only on his band camp. I think he made those, like, as he was going to college. Like, you know, just finishing high school, entering college. He wrote this one, maybe this one of your fast facts, when he transferred I think somewhere gave me a, gave me a great segue. Are you Boom, ready for go this? For it. Uh, Toledo chose the name car seat headrest as he would often record vocals to his early albums in the backseat of his car. And after a difficult and lonely semester at VCU, Toledo transferred to college of William and Mary, which is the second oldest college in the United States. Second only to Jack. Do you know? Nope. Mason, Sorry. do you know? I've passed. Harvard, ding, ding, ding. Ah. Noah, I get all of the money in your bank account now. Uh, where he would release his next project, Twin Fantasy, a concept album centered around a relationship he was in at the time. Since its 20 re- 2011 release, the album has amassed an online cult following with internet forums such as Boom 4chan and Boom Reddit, a.k.a. where Mason spends his off days playing major roles in the album's success. Just kidding. Mason is talking to me because he loves me. Uh, he specified <laughs> in an interview with Uproxx, that it was the first car seat headrest album to be conceived of and written as a full album rather than a collection of songs, which I think is a very interesting uh, distinction because sometimes albums are collections of songs, sometimes they're full albums. This is definitely a full album. This change in style has sometimes been a, a result. Sometimes a hot dog is a sandwich. Okay, shut up. It's just <laughs> sometimes <laughs> the style has been a result of the writing process for the album's second song and longest track, Beef Life in Beach Life in Death. Twin Fantasy Face to Face, which is the album that we are primarily talking about today, which is the 2018 version, is the 11th studio album by American indie rock band Car Seat Headrest, released on February 16th. Coming up, actually, on the anniversary uh, of the release. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, February 16th, 2018. It is a complete full band re-recording and reworking of his Hold sixth on, album. Hold on, this, this episode is coming out. Oh! Oh! oh I knew it. I knew it. Happy Maroon! birthday! Oh! oh happy birthday! <laughs> that's what? Birth, that's ber- third birthday? Third anniversary? Yeah. Yeah, very cool. Or uh, 10, or, if, you, if you consider the original. Ten years. Oh! Oh! oh. oh I'm going to call it the third anniversary. Uh, <laughs> in an interview with City Beat, Toledo explained that due to his lack of resources, Twin Fantasy was unable to achieve the expansiveness he originally wanted, adding that, quote, it just never seemed like the book was closed on it. He originally reconsidered, He initially considered a re-release, but after meeting with independent label Matador in 2015, Toledo decided to revisit the material in full, following the release of Teens of Style and Teens of Denial, as we've said before. Recording for Twin Fantasy Face to Face began in 
2016, with much of the instrumental work being recorded live at Soundhouse in Seattle. Vocals were recorded separately by engineer Adam Stilson. Stilson, yes, at Decade Music's in Chi- Decade Music Studios in Chicago, Illinois. Mason, shout out. Ooh, nice. Post-production and mixing took place between Decade Music Studios and Will Toledo's apartment, with most effects, stems, and final mixes being run through the studio's vintage mixing console. Stop Smoking, We Love You was recorded by Toledo in his apartment. On December 13th, 2017, the band re-released the re-recorded version of Beach Life and Death on Spotify without a prior announcement. This sparked fan rumors that the album would be recorded and released there. the following year. You were there? I, I like I remember talking to Masura about that. Like, what is this? They re-released this song. Like, what's going on? What was that moment like for you? Were you like, what was going through your head? Well, I it, it honestly like took me a minute to even recognize. I thought it was just a new song. Like, I, I, I was not that familiar with Twin Fantasy, so I'm listening to it. I'm like, whoa, this is awesome. And then Jack's like, yeah, but th- that's an old song. Like, they just remastered, re-recorded <laughs> oh, this. And so then we were like, you know, speculating, and obviously, it came out. It came out, and uh, then the entire album <laughs> got re-released. Uh, on December 27th, 2017, an Amazon listing detailing a re-recorded of Twin Fantasy was found by fans and subsequently uploaded to the Car Seat Headrest. Car Seat Headrest. Car- fuck, dude. Fuck. Car, car Seat, seat headrest. headrest subreddit. Say that five times fast. Which was right shut here. down for a short time. <laughs> was it actually? Yeah. Why? Um, there, there was a bunch. There was really toxic. I, I, I wasn't part of it at that time. <laughs> <laughs> I, hey, I, sure. I wasn't there. I wasn't there. <laughs> okay. All um, right. All right. All right. Yeah, yeah. But, but it was a lot of like people going into old MySpace things, posting pictures of Will when he was like thirteen, just doing really uh, annoying things. Weird. Yeah, just weird, weird and bad. And so I, I think in like twenty eighteen, it was shut down. Um, it's back up now. But People who do that really just need to be conked on the head and yeah. dragged yeah. to a spot where they can all congregate together and they can all dig up dirt on each other from when they were 11 years old in middle school. Like, everyone was the worst then. Like, no one wants to relive that time. Yeah. yeah. Sucks. No. Except for Mason, who is perfect little angel and has only fallen from heaven because he is Lucifer himself. What can I say, folks? I'm the freaking <laughs> devil. Yeah, you're telling me. Uh, this was followed up by a listing on srcvinyl.com with the date February 16th, 2018. If you're listening to this when it comes out, happy birthday, Twin Fantasy, re-recorded, and yeah. That's fun. Uh, which contained the abridged version of Matador Records press announcement. Cute Thing contains elements of the They Might Be Giant song Anna Ang, written by John Linnell and John Flansburg. Famous Prophet Stars is subtitled A Song About Jesus in the liner notes. No kidding. It's resur- literally a resurrection song. And it was That's originally another thing titled- that he has in common with Sufjan Stevens. They both love God and the spirit and religion. Okay, I still don't see it. Uh, it was originally titled <laughs> Famous Prophets Minds in the 2011 version, whereas Famous Prophets Stars is what it was in the re-release. That's what I got. Jack, since you've been gone, I can b- breathe for the first time. Uh, <laughs> but since you came back, uh, we have a new segment on this show called The Mercedes Valuable Player. It is, of course, I know you know this, but for the listeners, it, of course, is named after Mercedes Ruel for her performance for her performance in Jonathan Demme's 1988 masterpiece, Married to the Mob. You can pick anything. You can pick one thing. You can pick a song. You can pick an aspect. It can be big or small. Who or what is your Mercedes Valuable Player for this album? Do you want me to go to Mason first and come back? Honestly, the the reprise of 
stop smoking and high to death. Like that gets me every time. Just mm, just the the, the reworking of it and um, bringing it back always always gets me, and, and I love it so much. Just how it has changed and evolved over the album. Like I think Will is thinking about this relationship. Hell yeah! What about you, Mason? What's your Mercedes, or who or what is your Mercedes valuable player? Uh, mine is the line the ocean washed over your grave which he is another thing that he comes back to a couple times in this album i think that's just such a uh very striking image and it's stuck in my head uh right now and probably will be forever so that one gets my mvp noe what about you bud uh it's got to be the last three tracks high to death famous prophet stars and twin fantasy those boys had i not given this album another listen for whatever reason i probably would have just said bodies because i think it's probably the single most listenable track you could probably listen to that song that and i think the first track my boy you could listen to those two individually the most but those last three songs back to back to back it's a whole little mini masterpiece inside of an album that i think is already amazing so high to death famous prophet stars twin fantasy those boys those three back to back to back Pretty unreal for me. This gets a full recommend. That's the highest the recommendation I can give this. Uh, this think this is an amazing album. Glad we're talking about it. Didn't know when it was going to th- come up on the show, and I'm glad you picked it, Jack. Uh, Mason, do you recommend this album? This one just gets a regular old recommend for me, albeit a very high regular old recommend. Uh, really enjoyed listening to this. Set aside time if you're curious about listening to it. I don't think that you'll be disappointed. Um... Really, really, uh, really admire the work that went into this. Really admire the emotions that went into this and the kind of experience that went into it. Seems like it was very intense for Will, uh, but got some good work out of it. So I think that's all of it, right? That's every single MVP. Uh, That is. And Jack, last but not least, the guest, do you recommend Twin Fantasy 2018? Yes. Wholeheartedly. Uh, what what happened? <laughs> you really sorry, trying to I, steal his fucking thunder there, Mason? Um, no, I'm sorry, Jack. I was playing with my inhaler and I I dropped it. <laughs> nerd. Hell yes, dude. Um, <laughs> oh fuck! Let's fucking go. Woo! Beef. We got beef alert. Okay. Uh, yes, wholeheartedly I do love this album with all my heart. But I also want to plug something else real quick. Whoa. Okay. Whoa. So, seeker plug. Four days ago, an album came out, and it's all I've been listening to these these past four days. It's by a band called Naked Days um, from Seattle. Will Toledo produced it, played on it, did vocals. Um, I think it's really good. I think Mason would really like it. It, it, It's like Sufjan-esque. It's not like, at least in tone. Um, And it's different, you know, like Will Toledo didn't do the lyrics or music. So it's this guy, uh, Degnan Smith. But it's called My Head Hurts by Naked Days. Hurts as in HZ, the frequency. Ah, I see it here on Spotify. Yeah. The only prior album on Spotify by this artist is from 2016, so interesting. Almost I've, like uh, I'm curious about this. Okay, thanks. Yeah, for that. Will Perito, that Will Perito, Will Toledo produced it, played on it. Um, Andrew Katz from Car Seat did, uh, played on it as well as long, as long as as well as Seth Dalby. So it's got a lot of those people there, but I think it's like something else. You know, it's like they helped produce yeah. this and be a part of this. So it's kind of in the same wheelhouse. Hell yes, brother. Love that. Should we move on? <laughs> yeah, let's Should do move it. On? Sure. Let's yeah, move yeah. on. Well, not only do we have a fucking album that's great, 
We got a great movie here as well. Also a guest pick from Mr. Jack Campisi. Jack, what are we talking about here today? Talking about Billy the Kid, 2007. Snap, 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 snap. Or is snap, it snap, six? Snap. Am I you wrong? It's 2007. Seven. Okay. Mm-hmm. Should go in my gut. Dude, you gotta know if it's 2007. I know. That's when you were born, Jack. That's when you were born. But I was, Even, I was a Jerry. Little, I was you a gotta wee know it's 2007. How, how could I know? Yeah, how could you, you know? Because you were just a babe. You were small. Babino. Uh, you were the great Bambi. You're the great Babimo. Babimo. <laughs> he was a little. He was a little roll of baby bell cheese, like just a little, yeah. little thing of mozzarella, like that and a little big. wax, the teeny tiny. Yeah. I'm just imagining like Tony Soprano going up to AJ, going like, "You were just a little ball of cheese before I came along. <laughs> you were nothing Got before you. me. Now you're <laughs> yeah, a big fucking stick son. of brie." Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah! In this in this analogy, Jack is uh, AJ, and I am Tony Soprano, and I'm giving a big kiss. That's <laughs> oh, the, that's the only way I could see it. You are. No, I'm gonna leave this to you. I, I was gonna say one thing, but I think I'm gonna. Wow, he's about to redact his statement. Very bold, Mason. You oh, are boy. easily, you are obviously Carmela in this situation. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> She's fucking great. She's great. She's the baby. Yeah, what, whatever you just said. Uh, so we got it out. We got another movie here. Uh, classic movie that I don't think a lot of people have heard of. This is like truly a hidden gem, uh, Jack. That's why I chose it because I, I've talked with people about this movie and they have no idea what it is, and I'm like, I don't. Like, cannot emphasize enough, just make some time for it. It's not even that long. I don't even remember how I stumbled upon it, but I felt like I was really just experiencing something watching this the first time that I'd never seen anything like before. That's crazy that you have don't remember how you found this, because I feel like this is so under the radar for whatever reason that it's like... There, I always feel like it's like, oh, well, of course it was this that led me to this or something it, like that. It was something on the internet. It, it was just this past summer... I don't exactly really remember what it was, but uh, I, I just decided to give it a chance. It seemed interesting. Well, I saw that you logged it on Letterboxd, and I think I like saw that you did, was like planning to check it out because it sounded really interesting. And then I think you texted me, dude, you have to watch this movie. Like, I think it was like either yeah. that night or the next day where you like personally texted me and you were like, you have to check this out. This is amazing. And I, for whatever reason... Oh, yes. Okay. So for some reason, the first time I watched this, I watched it on my laptop, which I hate doing. And I like actively try to go out of my way not to do that. But I think it was because it was through Fandor on Amazon that it was like, oh, can I beam this or whatever? Like, this is weird. So I just watched it on my laptop. But you were the reason why I watched this. And I think even in the past when we were discussing you coming back, you're like, I think it's got to be Billy the Kid. And I'm like, all right, well, when the time comes, maybe it will be. And sure enough, the time is here. But Mason, had you even heard of this prior to Jack wanting to bring it no, on the show? Uh, not before Jack had logged it on Letterboxd, and then you, you know, logged it in quick succession. And then it was kind of out of out of my mind until uh, Jack decided to, to – Jack wanted to bring it on the show. So I had kind of next to no um, relationship to this, um, and I don't even think I really knew what it was about before I did what I normally never do. Which is rented, I well, I do this for the show, but I rented the movie on Amazon, and yep. then I watched the trailer for it ahead of time, which I usually never do. And Why'd I you do the trailer, that? I'm like, I don't know, just wanted to give it a little, see, just a little, a little, a little taste of what I was in for. Okay. I don't know why I wanted to do it with this one, I was just a little curious more than anything. Sure. I also just think that, like, how you 
um, mar- a trailer is such a marketing tool. And I think how you market a documentary is very interesting sure. sometimes. Because um, I, I just think it's interesting. I, like it's a it, you you have to do it basically in kind of every single documentary trailer that I've seen for like a like a single subject documentary. You know, it's been more or less feels very similar so it was like okay i kind of understand what i'm getting into uh, i think that's more for me mostly is just to help me orient in my kind of expectations for this i guess why how did they market it what what, what is the trailer it's and how regular, is it different from like, the movie just like clips of him it's not that different from the movie honestly like you kind of get a sense of just billy as a person um the kind of like the big moment in the trailer is when it's they put this towards the end but it's when he um, it's, it's when he's talking with the guys who are just hanging out in front of the restaurant or whatever. And he says, uh, the loneliness has been unbearable and they start <laughs> laughing. And I'm like, once that moment happens in the trailer, I'm like, okay, like I, I, I'm ready for this. Like, this is, looks like it's at least going to be fun and interesting. You know, it's just kind of more to my memory. It's just like clips of Billy hanging out, you know, getting a sense sure. of him as a person, you know, it's just sort of like, Hey, the, here's this person that, you know, we followed with a camera for a year or so, like this is what you can expect from, from sure. deciding to spend your time with him. So it was only shot over eight days. Oh, really? Only over mm-hmm. eight days. Holy shit. Okay. Well, that kid covered a lot they, of ground in eight the, days. They, yeah. That's what I was going to say is like the, wow. Okay. Okay. Now the movie makes sense. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so Jack, what did you, what did you feel and think when you were watching this for the first time? Other than, wow, I'm really unearthing, a hidden gem here like why why bring it onto this show why make such a big deal out of this movie i i honestly can't really point to any doc that's done anything too similar i felt like his openness to the camera was was kind of like unmatched and um honestly kind of like creates some a lot of conversation about documentary that i i'm sure we'll get into later but i was just so interested and uh enthralled by this person and like the life he lives and how he carries himself and how confident he is and and he's not you know just like the the way it uh structured and looked at high school which was like it was very jarring and it was very like abrupt cutting away to like his home life where he felt very like comfortable um i thought that was like doing some really incredible things because he's kind of like on high alert in in high school and he's um you know, trying to make friends and, and all that kind of stuff and trying to, like, socialize, but no one's really, like, giving him the time of day. Um, yeah, yeah that, just... A, that a, scene a, where they're at the pool hall is brutal, where, like, the kids are, like, within earshot of him and just yeah. stonewalling yeah. him at every turn. That is probably the... I think that's the saddest scene in the whole movie, to be honest with you. Yeah, I don't like that scene at all. Yeah, it's it, it's, it's hard, because he's trying. He's trying to find top, topics of conversation and just anything to butt in and he and they're not reciprocating at all they're just like literally pretending like he's not there and it's brutal because for two reasons i think we've all been on billy's side of the table and we've all been on those other kids side of the table too yeah we've all been on the side where you're trying and no matter what the other person or the other group of people doesn't give a shit about you and we've all unfortunately been on the side the other side of it which I don't have empathy for these kids in this situation, but in a situation like that, generally, I try and have empathy for the person who's like, please, God, leave me alone. But like, because it's tough. It's like, I don't want to have anything to do with that person generally. But in this moment specifically, it's like, 
dude, you have no idea what you're missing out on. This kid is awesome, and you don't care about him because he's different and he's weird. And they just they they, they can't accept that, you know, like right off the bat. And it just shows you how brutal people can be ultimately. But on the other side of the coin, it shows you how awesome and open they can be like Billy is, you know, that's yeah. pretty amazing. I think that scene is like what the movie is in a nutshell almost. And, and I think another thing that drew me to the movie and why I think it's so special is because to some extent, I feel like everyone remembers a kid from their school, from growing up similar to Billy, not the same as, but similar in, in ways. And, and like, there's all these kind of preconceived notions about, um, kids who act like that or, or who like, you know, there's just these automatic judgments. He's separated in school. He, he's with, with different kids and like the world has essentially like hammered in these um, labels, I guess. Right. And, and, and like the act of being, yeah. with the, be, yeah, yeah, the act of being with this kid is you just like walk a mile in his shoes. You, you understand him so much more. He's not an other, like he is, he's Billy. He's himself. He's so confident in himself that, I mean, sometimes almost to a fault, but it has a lot to do with just like looking at high school, looking at society and, um, you know, trying to fit in like that, like that's 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 a time of like when you're just trying to kind of make yourself smaller and, and not be like around anyone. But he is like certainly like making himself known, I guess. And he has like this conf- confidence that I honestly am like so impressed by and wish I could have myself. Totally. Mason, what were you saying? I, I don't remember. <laughs> Yo, you played yourself, Mason. <laughs> I did play myself, yeah. That's an interesting point, though, Jack, that you bring up, whereas, like, in high school, your, like, MO is almost, how can I fucking get through this day without, like, ha- being embarrassed by something that isn't actually embarrassing, which is actually probably cool, ultimately, or, like, noteworthy, but you just, like, don't want to draw attention to yourself Whereas Billy has the opposite problem. It seems like no matter what he does, he draws attention to himself, but people aren't receptive to it. And it has a lot to say more to say about those other people than it does about Billy themselves. So through that, it's almost like Borat in that way, where like Mm -hmm. it has a lot to say about the people reacting to Borat almost more than it actually says about Borat themselves. I'm not equating Borat and Billy, although I would like to see a Borat. I want to see them together. Yeah, I would like to see like a little dream team action there. But it almost says more, it says more about the people around him and the people in his life. This is just some small town in Maine. And Maine is also just like a place that who knows what the fuck goes on there. Like seriously, except for like Stephen King, it's no one knows, you know? Yeah. Well, there's an awful lot of people in Maine. I mean, it's, it's, I don't have the number in front of me, but there are people that live there. But it's true that the one famous Mainer that you know is, is Stephen King. Uh, and there's not an awful lot of demons in this particular movie, I'll tell you that. Uh, to your point, though, Noah, I think that this, it is kind of, like, um, I'm not huge on high school stuff or stuff involving high schoolers. Not that it's, like, not art that should be made. It just, I guess as I get older and the farther away from that time I am, I'm just kind of, like, it's less of a point of interest for me. And what I really admired in this movie was the adults in Billy's life who basically all treated him with like, uh, except for like, you know, the doctor that he went to that, like testing for, you know, off screen, like, you know, right. months telling the story, how all the adults in his life more or less treat him with like respect and grace. And I think that that was really my big takeaway from 
from from this movie was just the kindness of everyone in his life aside from kids and i think another reason why kids stuff doesn't stick with me is because like kids are fucking shitty and not enough things are honest about that and i do kind of like that about this that there were just like mean fucking stupid kids and when you're a kid like billy sometimes you really just want to and you know i've been here too or like you just want to get the attention of like a, a kid you think is cool who's just gonna give you the fucking third degree all the time um or stonewall you or something for no other reason other than like the fact that he's uh that they're usually he uh is an asshole like i was thinking about this fucking like this awful kid that i went to middle school with let's go let's was, go yeah let's just Dress get into up. this let's do yeah. it let's do it i was thinking like fucking dox him this, dude right now <laughs> Yeah, his name was Luke Lathrop. He fucking sucks. Woo! Um, yes! Woo! Yes! And I remember being in, like, middle school and just... Uh, or maybe in high school and I had come to middle... Like, back to my middle school for a second to, like, just, you know, uh, pick up my sister or something. And this kid was a, was younger than me even, which is, like, even more of a thing that sucked. Um, but I was just minding my business in the school, just, like, reading Dan Brown's Angels and Demons. And he's, like, Jesus with his stupid, Christ. like, kind of, like... Yeah, exactly. So this is the nerd-jock divide. Because he was, like, with his, like, <laughs> dumb jock friends or whatever. Hell yeah. And he's like, oh, is that a good book? And it, I was like, yeah, it's pretty. And he goes, I don't care. And I'm just like, oh, fuck. <laughs> You're a fucking asshole, dude. I hate this. I didn't even like this book this much. And now I like it more because uh, you're pissing me off about it. Um, but yeah, I watched this movie and then that was like the kind of, that was kind of on my mind, um, after when I was like walking around like this, the shitty snowy streets of Chicago was just like, God, it sucked to be a kid and to like, want to have friends with people who be friends and get to know people who wanted absolutely nothing to do with you. Um, I wonder if that's been a cause for my anxiety, but we don't have to talk about that now. Uh, all to say still though. The kindness and the grace of the adults in this was really what um, was really what stood out to me, and I really uh, I want your guys' opinion on Billy's mom in this because I think she's a fucking superstar. For I sure. love the mom. I was I was actually that was going to be my next point, Mason. Uh, so thank you for that segue because there is a hey thank you Mason uh, for that segue thanks um, love you uh, love you buddy love you too. Uh, there, <laughs> thank you okay cool uh, we can do that off mic now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Never again on my. Uh, <laughs> there is a version of this movie that exists where we don't see Billy's mom at all. Like that is a very conscious choice yeah, yeah, on the yeah. filmmaker's part to include. They, they don't include his stepdad at all. They just talk about him. He's off camera. Yeah. They don't include Paul at all. Yeah. They don't include the, the stepdad. Obviously, you know, you find out in the movie that the dad, his biological father is not around. There's not really a way to contact him it seems even if they wanted to but the only like family members that you get to see are mainly billy's mom and then his little brother who i name escapes me at this moment ethan Mm -hmm. okay those are the only two real family Mm -hmm. quote-unquote that you get to see of his and the mom is just as interesting of a character in a lot of ways uh like billy i think i think they're equally interesting in their own different ways the mom i didn't notice it the first time i watched it but when they're having that like kind of serious discussion about hey maybe you should like back off of this girl that you're interested in she's wearing a metallica ride the lightning shirt like straight up and i was like hell yeah yeah, mom that's awesome she loves her her band shirts i love that anytime you see her she's like wearing a band shirt you're like this is a cool mom (laughs) she's awesome and she like Knows how to get down on his level, but I don't want to steamroll him here. Jack, what's your what's your take on uh, Billy's mom and how she's seen in the doc? I think she's 
it's interesting because she, at least her approach to like, um, parenting Billy is is just yeah, like you said, to get on his level. She's very honest with him. At one point, she says like, you know, we're best friends. Like, so it's more than just like a hierarchical mother-son relationship. Like they, she feels like she can be honest and talk with him like an adult. And honestly, the way yeah. he speaks, honestly, is so uh, like adult-like. Like he, he's honestly just speaking kind of like above he, the caliber of what I'd expect a 15-year-old to be saying. Yeah, exactly. And he's on such like a, his, I like that his mom is like, I can be your friend. I can give you advice. And I love that she can like step in and be like, no, this is when I got to be a mom. Like for her, it's, I think parenting and then just being a person that loves Billy is like one and the same and also completely different, you know, kind of like a, a, uh, it's just, it's just how her relationship with her is with, with him is rather. Um, yeah, I, I love that he's like, so, um, open with her and he's just so open and communicative with her as in a contrast and like that you see among like some of his peers where he's just like kind of, unsure of what to do but you're right jack like he's he can speak to a um he he can speak clearer about how he feels about things in a way that is not typical for you know 15 year olds certainly not where i was when i was 15 yeah me neither uh barely there now but (laughs) Uh, it's almost as if he has an easier time relating to adults than he does other kids in this movie. And kids that are slightly younger than him, too. Like, he makes friends with that, uh, what's his name, DJ or CD or something yeah, like the, that? Yeah, Heather's, Heather's little brother, yeah. Heather's brother, yeah, who seem, who do seem like uh, pretty nice kids, um, as just as far as we It came off as, like, younger right. lax bros to me, like, like almost as if they... Yeah. They were certainly, like, aware of the camera, and, I mean, he was older, like, they weren't really going to give him shit or whatever. But um, I felt like they were kind of like in on the joke to some extent. They were being nice to him, though, comparatively. I wanted, I wanted to, I wanted to do a quick transition, Jack, based on something you said. The way that he talks, and he sort of just talks like a full-grown person. Uh, I have actually quite a few Billy's best quotes here. That this, I this is down. like one oh, of the yeah. most quotable movies. I have some great ones too. Yeah, so this I, is, I, I will. Yeah, this is- <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's got some real he's got some real great uh, lines in this. He's he's yeah. Go ahead. No, no. Jack, do you want to go ahead and do you have them right in front of you, or do you want me to go and talk and then you'll rip rip them off as I'm going? Um. Well, I wrote down one that's it's not necessarily like funny, but I guess it just stuck with me. He he was saying like I'll wear a mask so I'm nobody. I'm an empty shell, nothing more. But the eyes give it away. In the eyes, you see a kid trying to be what he'll never be. That, that, it's a crazy. That great, was just so that great. Tight, tight close up on his eyes at that point. Yeah, like it was so profound, yeah, so and I was like, I cannot believe this fifteen-year-old kid is able to look inside himself, or at least just e- even like reflect. I, I, I honestly think I don't want to get too far away from the quotes, but I want to. I think this something that I'm always like thinking about in this movie is like accepting the light and dark side in people, and sure. I because there there is like all this talk about. There's, there's that scene where the mom says, yeah, the library called and they were concerned about Billy because he checked out um, books on, oh, ser- on yeah. serial killers. And, and like, so he's like interested in that, but he's not like, obviously, like, I think he has a good head on his shoulders. He's interested in learning about those things. He's not using it as like a manual or whatever. And he, but he can also like talk about and reflect on his abuse uh, with yeah. like his dad and like seeing it, like, and standing up to his dad, he like held a steak knife and up and to save his mom like all that kind of stuff i'm like he's not afraid to look inside himself and reflect on that 
at the age of 15, and I still have it hard to do that at the age of 23. So, like, I think that's just so impressive and so cool. Yeah, he's, like, really able to be honest in a way that very few people that age are. He's really able to look at things, I guess, for what they are, at least from his perspective. You know, he's able to look at it and say... This is a thing. Two things can be true at the same time, which is a very hard thing to wrap your head around, especially at the age of 15, you know, at any age, really, that two contradictory ideas can be true at the same time and exist in the same way. But he does in a lot of ways. He's clearly a very intelligent person with a lot of different, like, things that he is good at. He just has a really hard time talking to other kids his age, and that's really what gets him, you know, that's what that's his biggest conflict throughout the movie is like, you know, managing that and sometimes managing his emotions. Uh, but I do got some banger ass quotes from Billy. Uh, I didn't get all all of them. There was a very brief period, like at the beginning where I wasn't taking things down and I wish I was. So I do have some that I think are, are, I do miss. But here's what I have. I don't like politics. I'm not opposed. It's just something I don't want to get mixed up in, which it's like, hell yeah, brother, same here. <laughs> I feel you on that. Uh, I'll try to come, but I don't usually ride at night. Uh, when he's talking about going to the football practice, yeah. that crushed me. That killed me the first time I watched the movie. That was so fucking funny. Uh, in a way, I'd rather be a girl's slave than her master. That, which that is one's so classic. Funny. And then his mom's <laughs> walking mom's in the like, background, like, too. Gonna yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> so good. So good. Uh, I ride around the town a lot when I'm feeling bored. Good way to get a tan. Yeah. <laughs> Just like, yeah, I guess that is. sleeves, you know? It's so funny. <laughs> Got that awesome farmer's tan going. Yeah, and the, uh, the Truck Stops of America t-shirt he's always wearing. Great, Dude, great costumes. Fits. And then oh, they're not sure. costumes, quote unquote. No, but just yeah, his, it's, his it's like the, the sandals and the. I think I had those basketball shorts when I was a kid. Uh, this one isn't necessarily as funny, but it's just like awesome to hear. He says, even though her eyes shake, she's still really pretty to me. You know? Yeah. Just yeah. like cuts like glass. You know, he sees right through. Yeah, he sees the inner beauty in her. Um, the, the One of my other favorite quotes is. Also involving Heather when he, I think like when he meets the grandma for the first time. Oh, for sure. And I, I yeah. think he says something along the lines of like something about about her condition. Uh, yeah, and I have a condition to bronchitis. I I can't breathe very <laughs> well. Something like that. It, it's like you think he's it gonna read, go yeah. there, and then he doesn't. It's like the the, the just the diverting of expectations and. It's kind of like this like secondhand embarrassment that I feel from that. It's like so like he he did bring attention to it. He's not trying to be offensive. He's like trying to relate to her and and say that he's like on her level and understands. Exactly. Exactly. So I got I got a couple more here, but that is such a good moment. I didn't have that one down. but That is amazing moment. Uh, One of the guys who inspired me to wear a ponytail was Steven Seagal. The other was my stepdad. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So awesome. That was it. So awesome to just have the respect for Seagal at such a young age, even though he's an absolute madman. Uh, Tim Allen was arrested one time, drug dealing, very bad habit. He probably feels better that he doesn't do it anymore. To me, crime doesn't pay. (laughs) He has a very, yeah, he can accept a lot of contradictions in the world, but he does have a very rigid sense of right and wrong. Drugs are not good. And then anyone else that does 
that does not do drugs is good, but uh, we don't have to get too deep into that. I, I guess not. <laughs> uh, this one is a little a brief conversation. Someone says your hands are cold, and then he says that's not something I'd brag about, which is just so fucking funny. That's just funny. That's awesome. That it's like yeah, it's not something I'd really brag about, but you know, it's so good. Yeah. Um, two more. The quote I think that you were talking about at the beginning, Mason. The official quote is years of loneliness have been murder. That is the That's official it. Yeah. That's it. quote. I love that. Yeah. Um, somehow I just got full screen. In, how do I get out of full screen in Zoom? I, I, <laughs> I have I have one more. Yeah. What is it? Wait, I got to find it. I got I, I was able to get a full screen, but it's I thought this was a free country. <laughs> now it turns out the guy who said it was full, full of shit. shit. I, that's what I was about yeah. to say. It's like he, he's so destroyed in that moment because Heather's like not responding to him and he doesn't know what's going on and he's just so broken and he's like I don't know his world's been shattered it's crazy it's like yeah. heartbreak 101 yeah you gotta like go through it to experience it there's it's only one wild. other oh I'm sorry Mason go for it I'm just thinking about how Jack said this whole movie takes place in eight days and I'm just like that's a that's a lot to go through in eight whole days. Just kind of like on everybody's side, you know, for Billy falling in love and then falling out of love, for Heather meeting this guy apparently for the first time and then being his girlfriend, and then the mom trying to be on the other side and managing all of that. That's a lot to go through. It feels like it goes through. It's a much longer period of time. That's it. That's it. That's it. Keep going, y'all. Uh, I was just gonna say, there's one quote I didn't get, and it's like the last thing that happens in the movie, but it's something to the effect of like. You know, life can be really sad, but there always is something to be, like, gained from it on the other side. Like, that's, like, yeah, essentially the quote. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, like, the last, like, real thing we hear from him in the movie mm-hmm. before we get to the ending credit sequence, which I feel is, like, its own little, like, mini masterpiece coda uh, of the movie that I sort of want to talk about. I have this, I have a, I have a grad student read on something that's going on uh, at the end of that, with that, with that credit sequence and the song that they chose specifically, but... I mean, Billy is awesome. And Mason, you said earlier that, you know, you don't like high school things because uh, you think kids are shitty. And I just want to go on record and say, I don't think kids are inherently shitty. I think they can be shitty. Uh, and this is a movie that proves that, you know, there's goodness in people, even though I, there's a lot of contradictions in people and there's multitudes. Fair. I just think that the, I, I all that I meant when I said that was was that's that's a fair point. I agree with that. I think that there is a a, a character of shittiness um in children that you hopefully grow out of that um i like seeing in media when it's represented properly that's all i wanted to that's all i meant by that so uh yes chef grad 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 schools give us your thesis wait wait, wait, hold on i want to talk talk about the high uh, the high school scene that sticks out to me a lot um a it, it well it being in the um cafeteria and he has like the um like the blue yeah him hanging out with the kids but yeah, like, like he has yeah, the blue yeah. mustache from drinking the Gatorade, and it's that scene where he where he's sitting at the lunch table, and they're like, "Oh, why are you sitting here?" And he's like, th- "Those yeah. kids are just kind of like bugging him and giving him shit." And he says, "Like, I'm popular, but not in crowd popular." It's awesome. Yeah, like it's awesome. He, he is. Yeah, a, he, that's great. I is, wish I, I do. I do wish that I had that confidence. Honestly, like that's some. That's some. That's 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 really. Cool he he makes his presence known, whether these kids like it or not. I guess he's not gonna be smaller or whatever because they um think of him as less i i just like have so much respect for that and he's like very direct to them he's like i'm friends with jeremy and josh yeah that's why i'm here (laughs) you fucking idiots because i'm friends with jeremy and josh and at a certain point they're the other kids like sitting at the table are just sort of like okay 
He's here. Like, I get, like, you know, it's like, can't really argue with anything that he's saying, you know, basically. It's like, I guess we'll let him sit here, even though they're, like, clearly a little perturbed by it. But it's like, baby, just just buy the ticket and take the ride on Billy, you know, a little bit. He's a little bit of a Hunter S. Thompson experience where you just got to buy the ticket and take the ride with him. Uh, But can I talk just quickly about why I think that? Give me the little dissertation here. So the ending of this movie, or the ending credit sequence, is Billy in the car, which is also where we see him at the very beginning of the movie, literally showing the inside of his mouth to the camera. Uh, That is how the movie opens. And we close the movie with him in a car as well, in supposedly like a minivan or something. And the song God Gave Rock and Roll to You by Kiss is playing in the background. Like that's the song that is going over and Billy's sort of singing along to it. And I feel like that sequence is like sort of all you need to know about Billy. It's like a song that he would pick and it's like kind of his motto in life. It's like God gave rock and roll to us. Like you better enjoy that. Like that's a God given thing. It's like enjoying this thing that maybe is like uncool at that age or whatever. And it's like all that he's about, you know, he loves Aerosmith and he loves, you know, the Beatles and he loves the stones or whatever, or Pink Floyd. And it's just like, you know, and Gene Simmons is like one of his idols. And that moment at the end where he's just rocking out to it, it's like, that's like everything the movie's about, I think, in sort of one unspoken moment. So that's my big idea on the ending credit sequence. I just think it's so touching watching him jam out to a Kiss song that's not even that popular at the end of the day. Like, Kiss is sort of a weird isn't band. That song, isn't, that in, isn't that song in Bill and Ted? Am I thinking? It is in Bill and Ted. I think it's in okay. Bill and Ted's. Maybe the second one? I don't know. I don't think it's in the first one. But it's, like, not that popular of a Kiss song, ultimately. Like, I don't think most people know that song. Like, people probably know, like, Strutter and, you know, Detroit Rock City and stuff. Okay, sure, sure, sure. Because I was going to say, that was probably my very first, the very first Kiss song that I remember hearing, actually. Or that I, no, that's not true. Beth was the first Kiss song that I remember hearing. Um, I'm actually checking to see if that's even on there. So, uh, God Gave Rock and Roll to You is not on on Kiss's Spotify top ten, so you might have a point here. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's, like, not that popular of a song. Billy is, you know, a little bit of an outcast in this world, even though he's got, you know, great heart and is a really cool, smart guy. And he's jamming out to this thing, and the name of the song is God Gave Rock and Roll to You. He's embracing what life has to offer, you know, even though he does have his challenges, challenges that other kids don't fully understand. I just think it's a brilliant way to end the movie. Absolutely brilliant way to end the movie. But uh, is there anything else anyone's got to say about this movie, or can we talk about some fast facts? I I have just a question for you guys. I don't know if this happened in your version of the movie or just in mine. When he is meeting Heather for the first time, was there a quick – just like a quick frame of the title. Oh, yes, there was okay. actually when I watched okay. the movie, and that didn't happen the first time I watched the movie. But Interesting. It did, did happen. Same, this time. Did you rent it on Amazon? I did rent it on Amazon, but the okay, first so time I, I I subscribed to Fandor, I did the Fandor seven day free trial, and it. Didn't I thought do that, that it was on there, and I didn't see it when I because I, I subscribed to the Fandor channel because it was only like an extra four bucks a month or something, and I didn't see it on there. I had to give it a little rento, but. I don't know. It was very strange that that happened. I'm like, I don't know if this is an artistic choice. If it is, I think it's bold and I like it and there should be more of it in cinema. If it's not, it means Amazon's fucking up. I think and, it was a mess uh, up. I I have the Blu-ray and I didn't recognize that in there at all. Gotcha. Okay. So it means Amazon's fucking up and uh, that means that we should now be stealing uh, that for our 
for our stuff in the future. <laughs> Jack, I have a crazy question for you about how you may have saw this movie in the first place. Okay. I don't, I'm like having a brain blast moment here. Okay. Are you ready yeah, for yeah, lay it on me. So, Oscilloscope mm-hmm. distributed this movie. Oscilloscope, yes. baby. Okay. Didn't you say to me, like, I was on the oscillosco- oscilloscope or however you say it, website, and you saw it, like, on the corner or something as, like, we're re-releasing this? Possibly. Okay, now that you're saying that, I think that might have been it. I don't know if it was on their website, but I'm, yeah, through some sort of social media or whatever, I, they, they did re-release it and kind of, like, remaster it and put it out um, earlier last year like digitally and they were doing virtual cinema stuff through it and then they did the blu-ray which i picked up and some of the supplementals in that i want to just touch on briefly yeah please please before i get there i want to talk about a little bit of a hot topic um basically from like reading that uh, uh from this and just kind of reading other people's reviews on on letterboxd and imdb I, I've heard the question of like authenticity brought up a lot. Is it scripted? What genre is this? Sure. Um, specifically, like a lot of the stuff with Heather, because it, it like, like you said, okay, this happens in, in eight days, and like three to four of those days all involve him like asking this girl out, like you know, this whole quote unquote relationship happening so quickly and then ending so quickly. Um, like, how much of that was authentic? Like, how much can it be authentic when cameras are following you around? Um, so th- I think that's kind of been a hot topic. I want to give my thoughts on it and then I want to hear what yeah. you guys are s- think. Basically, like, I think, um, I don't know if anyone would be truly themselves if there was a camera following you around. I think like you're like, that's kind of innately what was going into Billy's head going into this. And, um, but also like, if you just listen to what he's saying, he's talking about movies so much. And I think that comes off in a lot of the way he speaks. Like, a lot of the way he speaks, it sounds like lyricism, it, it, like, of his favorite stuff. It sounds like movie lines. Um, and I, He affects I, a different voice sometimes. Like, he tries to, to have a different, like, kind of accent, I think. I, I mean, I don't know if that's actually, like, what the regional accent is, but I did notice that sometimes he, like, puts a different character in his voice. Also. Yeah. But, like, film is his, like, connection, and it's how he, like, navigates and, like, relates and, like, what t- he talks to Heather about so much. Um, that I think he's, it's like more obvious and and it might come off that way just because of how he's speaking. But I think to a certain extent, and maybe this is how, like why he even pursues Heather, I think he kind of becomes the director to a certain extent. I know Doc is very different, but like he kind of subverts, like he essentially is choosing what's going on. I, I have to believe, like I'm not expecting that they're putting him in a situation, telling him to go in. Like he's obviously like these emotions are strong and he there, he knows there's a camera there and he's like, all right, I'm going to mm-hmm. go and make the conscious decision to ask this girl out and have this be a thing. Um, so, and, 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 and I mean, he like, he dresses up in a costume. He wears the, the gi to, you know, yeah. go like rescue his damsel in distress, which is well, like, what he's Talk talking about, about through the, yeah. the entire movie is like, he wants to be a superhero and, um, a line at the very end sticks with me of that. I think reinforces this of like, to tell you the truth, I hope the next film I'm in is an action movie. And he's like, <laughs> right. he's like not lugging yeah, around yeah, like yeah. a big machine gun, but like saving people. And so he's like viewing this as a movie that he's acting in. And I don't, and th- that's why I think it's such an, interesting documentary because it's not very traditional and like when people expect a documentary they think like a very um quote-unquote unbiased like look at something but like how unbiased can you be about a kid like this when he's kind of like playing the game and like like wheeling and dealing doing his own thing 
So I think that the question of authenticity has two parts in this. There's the filmmaker's authenticity, and then there's Billy's authenticity. I am of the opinion that Jennifer Venditti and her crew are being as authentic as possible in this. Yeah, me too. I don't think there is any setup on their end. I don't think there's any manipulation as far as talking to the subject and telling him, you know, producers working behind the scenes or whatever. Or, you know, there are manipulations, obviously, when you make a movie because you have to cut together footage. Everything is a manipulation mm-hmm. in that sense. If you want to go the, like, Kiristami aspect sure. of it, that everything that you do in a movie Everything is on the cutting room floor, honestly. Like, like there's, exactly. I'm sure, tons that wasn't used. But as far as Jennifer Venditti and her crew's authenticity, I have no question that they are being as authentic as possible. But the question of Billy's authenticity is interesting because I, I would say Billy's being very authentic to who he is the cameras are rolling. So you're getting the version of Billy that's on camera. And you're going to get the version of anyone who's on camera when they're being interviewed. Robert S. McNamara did an entire movie that was just an interview where he's clearly sweating questions about his involvement in Vietnam and his like involvement as like Secretary of State or whatever he was like during mm-hmm. the Vietnam years. And he's clearly you know, freaking out because he knows he did some shady shit. That's the version that we're getting. That's the most authentic version of McNamara that we're getting in that moment. And I think it's the same thing with Billy. Is he driving his own narrative in this? Maybe. But that's the authentic version of him that we're getting in this moment. But I don't question Venditti or anyone on the crew's involvement as far as, like, manipulating the actual events of the film. Yeah, I, I, yeah I, I, I don't really Jack, question it either, but I, I do. That was just a, kind of a reoccurring thing that I saw coming up throughout things about, like, and, and I think it has a lot to do with just, like, how he talks. And it's not – because he doesn't talk like a lot of 15-year-olds. And it's very, like – and he can talk very openly and, and honestly about his feelings and stuff like that. So, I don't know. Yeah, I was just thinking about that a lot. It's a good question. What do you think, Mason? Uh, it's a big question. There's a lot of different different parts in there. Uh, you know, the idea of how and when a person is authentic is so – complicated um because i just tend to just i don't know if this is just relying too much like just being throwing up my hands and saying this is just the the explanation for this that works best for me but i i kind of have to just for my own um sanity and my own just like understanding for the world just have to assume that most people are being their authentic selves when you're looking at them as often as they are when you're not looking at them and you know if they're they have their reasons for doing it but it's 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 you know they have their reasons for acting in a moment the way that they do and it's basically every just the way that life works everything you do before a moment you decide to do anything even a small thing your life entire life before that informs that choice with billy's case and you know with the i'm with you guys i don't think that there is any like kind of nudging by the directors one way or the other but i also think that billy was very aware that there was a camera and other people following him um as anyone would be you know if you're not alone you can sense when other people are around basically you know or you know when you're in a conversation um I, I, I don't know. I, this, 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 this question that that's coming up here for me, it's just kind of like, it's, it's the least interesting thing about the movie for me. Um, because if I open the door to that, then I have to kind of start taking, um, everyone's motives as suspect. And there's nothing in the movie, at least that I 
could recommend and can think of that made me think that anyone here was doing anything outside of what's normal for a documentary kind of small single subject thing like this in their wider world. Um, especially when like Jennifer Vendetti and the crew, you hear them from time to time. Um, but they're not like characters in the movie, the way that some other directors, you know, become characters yeah, in their it's movie. It's no Michael and Moore. It's, it's no yeah. Michael Moore. It's not even an Errol Morris or something. Um, and at the end of the day, what this movie is, is just, who Billy was for eight days in the summer of 2006 or seven or whenever they filmed this act 2005, even maybe you never know. Um, and what they captured on film and what they thought would make a compelling narrative, you know, just in the editing room and what they put out, they take some time in between the bulk of the movie. And when there's like this little coda at the end there. So, you know, it's, it's, it's still, it's, it's, a movie's gonna be a lie, no matter how you cut it. That's just in the, um, uh, it's, it's in the stew. It's part of the recipe. You can't manip. You can't not manipulate it. Like even, you know, something like Andy Warhol's Empire, which is just eight hours straight of the Empire State Building. It's not gonna be that weekend that he shot that anymore. Like, and eventually that movie's going to run out and never stream. So you know, it's not a. It's in black and white and all this other stuff. It's just, it, it, I, I don't think that this, this, this movie for me doesn't beg the question of that. And I think that that's, you know, if that's what's coming up online and that's how people want to spend their time looking into that. That's their prerogative. But I just, it's just not particularly interesting to me in this movie in particular because it's just like, you know, you take away, uh, if that's not a part of it, if the director's not a part of it and you're just watching this guy go through uh, eight days of his life and you're just with him and with his family and the people that he knows for an hour and 25 minutes. What am I getting at the end of it? At the end of it, I'm getting that God gave rock and roll to us, honestly. You know, like that's really what I'm taking away here is just that there's like, you know, y y y what I'm taking away from this is, you know, ironically enough, you know, Billy goes through some shit. Like he goes through heartbreak and stuff and it's tough for him as heartbreak is always. And, you know, you know, rejection by your peers is also very difficult and loneliness is very difficult. He experiences some difficult things, but he comes out of it. At least he, he, he is able to acknowledge like some kind of progress, you know, he's able to be still like, uh, you know, uh, uh, say at the end of it all, like it was worth it to some degree. Like you get through it. Um, and it's a comfort to know that even through that shit, you know, that you can talk authentically about your life and that people won't be like reject you or anything or, or you know, they're they're receptive to to your experience. If you even if you're Billy, or if you're anybody else, really. So I don't know. I think there's more to to to. I think that there's a question of authenticity, but it's more of like I'm watching this movie. I see this guy who is authentically himself no matter what. Um, and it's like. I, I'm kind of watching this and I'm like, okay, like that's kind of a model of a way to how to live your life. Just be as honest as you can. Just like, don't hide your um, interest and stuff like that. Um, and make sure that you don't hurt people and that you have, you know, you talk about stuff that bugs you. I guess just, you know, the, the stuff that's surrounded the, that the question or the making of that question is not particularly interesting to me. Well, I think, I think well, it's you fucking talked yeah, about yeah. it for like 10 fucking minutes. So clearly <laughs> no, it's no, of no, interest no. But, to you. But I, I think also it's an interesting thing that like it's fallen into that because, okay, people have narrowed it on that. But if you, I honestly believe that Billy is more authentic than any 15 year old kid would be at that age. Like and any kid you would follow around in, in a similar style 
would not be as authentic, would not be as open, would not have like approached Heather or done half the I things don't that know. you have done. I, I, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I don't want to put all other 15-year-olds sure. under, yeah, yeah. I, know, I, I under the Sweep them under the rug like that. Because I think that just, regardless of where you are, if you're a 15-year-old and you're kind of lonely and kind of an outcast and somebody says, hey, I think I want to you know, follow you for a week and see what your life is like, you're going to modify your behavior somewhat, but I think that at the end of the day, at the end of the process of filmmaking, you get close to, um, you get close to something, you get close to who that person is, I guess, regardless. I don't know. I think that's just the magic of filmmaking. That's the magic of a camera (laughs) more than anything. Um, but it's an interesting point. It's an interesting idea of like what is really going on. Cause he is such a character. He is such a interesting person to look at, especially for a 15 year old. But I'm 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 not there with that. He's you know being coached to do. Yeah, that no, I, I, I don't really think, think I am either. I think it's I a lot of no, I think it's a lot I, of people who just want to like pin it on trolls. something. Yeah, or, or or kind of like are so un, like can't even believe. Like, no, there's no way this kid could say these things or is is saying yeah, this. Yeah, it's a it's a big old projection thing more than anything. You know, like you you, you can't imagine that this anyone could be this authentic and then. Uh, or whatever you want to call yeah. them. Yeah. <laughs> it's also it's also stupid because it's like he's not being like that crazy. Like he's really not. <laughs> no, he's not like he's, just, <laughs> he's doing normal kid shit. It's not like he He's yeah, not the yeah, Unabomber yeah. for God's sake. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's a 15-year-old kid who likes karate and rock and roll and goes to school and like is trying to make That's, friends. And is besides a, the fact yeah, that he yeah. does have like some social you know, something or other. I don't know what to classify it as, but beside the fact that he does have something going on, I don't think it's that much harder to make friends ultimately, even if you didn't have something going on. You know what I mean? Yeah, like making exactly. friends is hard. It's fucking yeah. hard. And it's weird because there's yeah. a moment in your yeah. life, like in college where it feels like, Oh, this is the easiest probably it'll ever be to make friends. And then there's everything before that and everything after where it's like, how exactly. am I supposed to make friends as a 35 year old dude? Like, how does that happen? Shouts Luckily, you know, dudes listening. Shout out to 35 we'll year old friends. Dudes. Hit me up. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to make it yeah, work. Get back to me in eight years. Get back to me in eight years. <laughs> We'll see what's going on. With that. Damn, I can't believe you're about to be 35 in eight it's years. Mason, that is so I can't believe up. I was 35 eight years ago. Honestly, I can't believe that even though you are a you're from the you are whatever the generation before Boomer is, and I am a Gen Z full <laughs> no, on guy. No, we're cuspers. That's what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. Uh, let's do some fast facts. Wait, wait, hold on. What, Sorry, dude? Can I talk about the other things, the supplementals? Yes. Yes, please talk to us about the supplements. Okay, there's a 30-minute short uh, on the Blu-ray that I watched called Pieces That Don't Fit. It was made a year after, comprised of deleted scenes, and also they did some additional filming returning to the town and like showing Billy and the mom, Penny, the final film, which is really oh, wow. interesting. It's like a lot of shots of them just watching it. Like the, the, the film is like reflected in the, the picture behind them. Oh, that sounds cool. It's, it's very, like it's that. very cool, but there's also just like some really like heavy scenes and it's just interesting to watch them, uh, you know, kind of like how they both react to it. Cause I, I, I have to believe that it was like maybe their first time seeing it. So it's crazy to sure. kind of like reflect on it. And Billy has longer hair and he's certainly kind of like grown up and matured to some extent. Um, but, but what I, what was really sticking with me was like, um, that, that kind of like excitement that he had about just like childlike wonder. It's not that it was gone, but he had certainly like matured and was a little bit more like jaded. He was talking about like, 
comparatively, maybe this was just him showing off, but like when he first meets Heather, he's like, I want to be a rock star. I want to be a famous uh, musician. But he's like, but I'm just going to have fun. Like, like fame doesn't matter to me. Like, I just want to have fun in life. Like, that's the whole thing. Right. And mm-hmm. then um, Jennifer Vendetti, who interestingly is like very vocal in this, like very hurt. It's more kind of like a conversation. Like she doesn't really like cut herself out as much. Um, she's asking him, like, what do you think you, like, see yourself doing after, like, do you want to drive? Do you want to learn how to drive? Like, what do you see yourself doing after? And he's like, I don't know. Like, I'll probably just be, like, stocking shelves or, or doing something. Like, I'm, oh, wow. I don't know. It, it's not oh, that, like, no. he kind of lost, uh, I, I don't know what it is, but, but it, it, it kind of came off as, like, really, honestly sad to some extent comparatively to what I had just seen. Um, and he was, he's talking about, like, just a lot of pent-up, like, anger. He has some funny line. He says, like, the first time I was angry was 9-11. Um, he talks about terrorism. Same. <laughs> um, yeah, he just talks about, like, oh, I want to turn my back on the human race. Um, and, and, and she has some really interesting questions for him that, like, really stick out. I don't know if he, like, necessarily responds. But one of them was, do you wonder why I chose you? Which is, like, really oh, wow. heavy. Oh, and cool. and another one was like, do you recognize when people are not treating you right? And and he's wow. like, no. Like he's like he can't recognize oh, no. that. So it 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 in like I don't know. It's like them. It's like the mom's there and she's a character and they're kind of just like discussing, talking. The mom has some really great points too. Um, but yeah, it, it's just like really crazy. He he's like the the things that keep me alive are my fantasies. Sometimes I say I don't want to live anymore, yet I fear death. So he's, you know, like, just kind of teetering. Um, and so what, what I was really interested in was, okay, so a, a lot of that conversation happens in the auditorium that, where the movie ends. Um, okay. And, okay, sure. and And so I, I, I just assumed, like, oh, it was a year later. It was whatever. But when I was watching it last night, Jack Masura pointed out to me, like, his hair, his hair is shorter. So those are deleted scenes. A lot of like the the stuff about like stocking shelves and like the, all those kinds of stuff, like really bummed out in life, was oh wow filmed originally like when they first returned for the feature film. And it, I, I I mean mm. I guess if you think about like okay ending the movie on that note versus how it did end, I I understand the reasoning to do it, and I'm glad they at least included it in this because I maybe Billy kind of came through this being a little bit more mature and, and seeing the world as something wow. more. So I, I thought that was like a really interesting um, approach. And he has some great lines at the end, like maybe I'll be put to an early death or maybe I'll lead a revolution for people with problems. Holy shit. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy, man. Yeah. It's, that it, is right, crazy. It's, it's crazy. Um, and then there was an additional thing on there that was a 2020 interview between him and Jennifer Vendetti for this re-release over Zoom. Oh, yeah. Oh man, what's he up to? Um, they. It, it was interesting because they more so just kind of talked about the past and the filming of it. Um, I. He didn't. I think he said he's still living in Maine and like, um, has become friends with a lot of those people that kind of like, um, bullied him in high school and like they wow. saw the movie. Good for him. And and kind Good of like him. you know he was able to come through that and they you know walked a mile in his shoes and saw that and they think it's so cool. And I, th- I think he um, mentioned that he was, like, working with kids with Asperger's or just other people with Asperger's Hell like yeah. him. And, awesome. and was yeah, So it, it's it's cool to see him turn that into something and, and, like, you know, come out of the other side and, like, 
you know, c connect with people like him that, that feel so like outside, like just like big outsiders. It's cool. I mean, it, like seeing that kind of movie, I'm sure is like huge. Wow. Damn. Yeah. Big time. That's wow. really cool. I'm really, proud. I'm really happy for him. 13, 14 years after the fact. You yeah. Know, get a little resolution on that. Cause he's gotta be what in his mid to late twenties at this point, maybe Probably. a little, if he, yeah. yeah, if he was like 15 in 2005 or six. Yeah. Wow. He's probably about like late twenties, early thirties right now. Damn. Okay. Wow. That's crazy. I'm gonna have to yeah. hunt that shit down and see that for myself. That is nuts. Uh, Jack, do you have anything else, or may I say some fast facts now? That's all I had to say. Lay them on me, baby. <laughs> Wait. Can you say that's all I got, Noah? Let's hear some fast facts. That's all I got, Noah. Let's hear some fast facts. Thanks, buddy. Okay. So these first two facts are taken from a New York Times article written about Jennifer Vendetti and this movie by Dennis Lim, because there's not a lot of info about this movie just available online. So I had to re resort to some different uh, things for uh, to get some info here, not just my normal sources. But Jennifer Venditti met the subject of her documentary, Billy the Kid, in a high school cafeteria in rural Maine. Seated apart from all other students who were clustered in their usual cliques was a wiry 15-year-old in shorts and an ACDC t-shirt. Quote, there was a table of bullies who pointed him out and told me he tried to sit with them once, Venditti said. They called him a freak. She went over to talk to Billy and, quote, and as soon as he opened his mouth, I was like, why isn't everyone sitting at your table? A casting director for films and fashion shoots who specializes in street scouting, the practice of plucking subjects from everyday environments, Miss Venditti was trying to find teenage actors for a short that her friend Carter Smith was directing. She, she cast Billy as an extra in that film, Bug Crush, which went on to win best, best prize for a short at Sundance, but resolved to give her new young friend, who seemed both troubled and precocious, more screen time in a project of her own. She obtained permission from Billy's mother, Penny Baker, and in the summer of 2005, returned to Maine to film him, hoping to combine that segment of, on Billy, whose portraits of other compelling figures she had discovered around the country. After a five-day shoot, she changed courses and decided to focus on Billy alone, returning three more days to capture his performance in a Christmas choir. So in reality, it's more like five, five days. days. And the three days is just wow. the end? Okay, so yeah. that's interesting to know because the, the cr Christmas choir and stuff at the end might have been some of the deleted scenes and pieces that don't fit. Um, yeah. Wow, I did not recognize, realize that like f only five days comprise the majority of the movie. That's wow. nuts. That is fucking nuts. That just goes to show how much usable stuff they got in five yeah. days, too. Same amount of time it took to make the movie coherent. It's interesting. Okay. Uh, <laughs> All right, let's, well, let's put that on the back burner for now. Yeah, why don't you never say that again to me, Mason? <laughs> when Miss Vendetti... Met Billy, she immediately wanted to know what was wrong with him, quote. She said, quote, there, that's how we are as a society. We've been conditioned to think that if we don't understand something, we need to put a name on it to help us understand, end quote. She talked to teachers and students who got, quote, really vague answers, like, oh, he's complex, or he has emotional disabilities. Billy was found to have Asperger's syndrome, a form of autism, last year, last year being in 2007, uh, when this article was written, so in 2006. But, quote, Billy the Kid, completed before that diagnosis, mirrors Vend Mrs. Venditti's experience with Billy. It proceeds largely without explanation or judgment. Those two facts are from a New York Times article, like I said, written by Dennis Lim in 2007. These next facts come from both Jennifer Venditti's website, herself, and just an amalgamation of facts that I found out about her. But Jennifer Vendetti is the director of this film and is her only feature film as of this recording. She normally works as a casting director, most notably of late for the Safdie brothers and most notably in street casting, as we said earlier. 
She began her career in 1998 in fashion, where she early identified a lack of diversity in representations in beauty. She developed then unheard of street casting techniques that evolved our definitions of what is considered beautiful. Her work appeared throughout the 90s and 2000s in some of the world's most visible fashion and advertising imagery. So that's very cool. And also, friend of this show and past guest Chris Chalakian, his mom knows Jennifer Vendetti personally. So that's crazy. What? Get, yeah. get her on the show. Yeah. yeah. That would be fucking Do awesome. Do another podcast on Billy the Kid. Or no, no, it should be a movie that she chooses. Maybe she'll choose Billy the Kid. Who knows? <laughs> uh, last fact, just a couple of her credits. Some of her biggest credits include Zoolander, specifically the fashion casting in that, Heaven Knows What, American Honey, Good Time, Euphoria, Honey Boy, and of course, Uncut Gems. Those are the facts that I have about Jennifer Vendetti and Billy the Kid. Jack, who or what is your Mercedes valuable player for Billy the Kid? Billy. Hell yeah, brother. It's hard not to pick Billy, honestly. I can't think of anything else. I mean, the, the mom is like a close second. The mom is, is, I think, like equally as important, but it's right there. It's the title of the film, you know. Got to give it to him. What about you, Mace? I am doing Billy and his mother. That relationship, I think, yes. is really beautiful and key, and um, kind of the the thing that holds the the linchpin that holds the movie together for me. I'm I'm so happy that that relationship was captured on film for all of eternity, and it's the thing that makes the movie for me. I'm going to go a little bit of a different direction. I originally had Billy as my Mercedes valuable player, but I thought about it a little bit more. So I'm actually got I got a co Mercedes valuable player here. I'm going to give it to the ending credit sequence that I mentioned earlier. I think it really just encapsulates what is so beautiful about the movie. And then I feel like although directors are, you know, are the, you know, quote unquote visionary of a film in documentaries, especially man, editors have such a big hand in creating yeah, big time for sure. whatever that final product is even more so I think than in narratives. So I got to give it to the editors on this Michael Levine and Enat CD, I believe is how you say it. You know, like you said, like we said, everything in a movie is a manipulation from what you choose to show, what you don't choose to show, the music, if you don't use music, you know, all of it. It's all manipulations in that sense, creating a film. And I just think they do an excellent job of portraying what was captured on camera. And, you know, this movie could have been really boring. Like, honestly, there is a version of this movie that exists that is just not fun to watch. Just a single subject following someone around. But it's not. This movie is captivating from start to finish, and that is why I will be giving this a full recommend, highest recommend that I can give it. Mason, what about you? Uh, I'm going to give this one just the uh, – also a full recommend, to just, the, just the tip of the full recommend there. Um, really enjoyed this. This It's an hour and 25 minutes. Um, can't go wrong with that. I, I think that it's really – you love to see this kid. You love hanging out with him. Um, I think it's beautiful. I think it's lovely. Um, spend the four bucks, rent it on Amazon, or you know, splurge for the Blu-ray from Oscilloscope Laboratories. I don't think you'd miss. You're you're gonna get a lot if you watch this movie. I think so. Uh, full recommend for me as well. I don't think Jack's gonna like this one very much though. So yeah, I don't know what Jack's him. gonna say yeah, about it, but you know, we should ask yeah. him anyway. We should just ask. Yeah, him. Yeah, you want to just ask him? Yeah. Okay. Jack, Jack, what do you, what do you, yeah? What do you think? You recommend this? <sighs> Honestly, yeah. Full recommend. Yes! Oh, thank God. Okay. Full fucking racehorse. Full on <laughs> recommend. Wow. Till my dying days. Nice. Yeah. 
Great. All right, baby. Yeah. Another two-hour ep in the fucking Woo! can. It's been a Let's while fucking since we've had one of these. It's, it's, that's the Campisi touch, though. I mean, you know, you gotta... so much to talk about with, with both of these. Uh, yeah. I mean, we, we talked about Twin Fantasy for equally as long, maybe. I, I'm not even sure, but so much to break down there. And then also with Billy the Kid. Doesn't surprise me. You got to go long. When Campisi's in the house, you know the house will Go for the Hail Mary. We're going long. Uh, but let's, let's wrap this fucker up. Okay. (laughs) Let's do this. Watch it. I have to watch the happiness of the Katakuris after this. You don't have to. I actually, technically I do. Uh, so, uh, you can follow this show on Twitter and Instagram. Everybody wants to the number two, get on the list at gmail.com for the email. Send us an email. If you want, you can follow me on Twitter. You can follow me on Instagram. You can follow me on Letterboxd. All that shit is in the link tree in the description, so check that out. Uh, You can listen to my other podcast, my favorite podcast, which is, I guess, how I decided to say it today. But you can listen to my other podcast, my favorite podcast. You can listen to the episode I did with Jack about modern baseball's three albums. That was episode 21. We are now moving into episode 38, if you can believe that. So that was actually a while ago. And on episode 38 of my favorite podcast... Multiple time guest on this show, Nina Kramer will be joining me to talk about. I don't know what to say. You're just going to have to listen and find out. It's a little bit of a surprise because I don't even know how to talk about it yet fully. So we haven't recorded that episode as of this recording, but that episode will be out on Thursday. Uh, I believe if this episode is coming out on the 16th, then that episode will come out on the 18th. So listen to it. I think it's going to be a good one, but I don't know exactly how to describe it. So check it out. And then, of course, your local government, YLG.world on Instagram and your local government comedy on YouTube for me and Fed's comedy. Jack, got anything to plug? Yeah, go to my website. Check out my work, uh, www.myname.com. Jack, no. C-A-M-P-I-S-E. <laughs> um, I make a lot of music videos. I really enjoy doing that. So if you're an artist... Uh, looking to make some visuals i can i can help maybe doing that i don't even care where you are in the world it'll be a lot easier once covid's over or uh safer but uh i'll come to you is that it is that all you got as far as plugs i think so i don't know you really threw me on the spot there no that's okay i only asked because i have a recommendo this week but i need your help with it because you'll actually be better at helping me recommend it but I really want to recommend Steph Jacklin's self-titled album that just came out. Thank you. I'm uh, stupid. And No, no, no. I genuinely love this album, but I needed your help doing it because you have known her for far longer than I have. We're only mutuals online, and I like her a lot, but you've known her for a long, long time. She's a childhood friend, I've right? known Steph at this point for like 18 years, I think, which is cra- like, we, we, crazy. We grew up together. Like I, I consider Steph one of my closest friends, and... Um, and she wrote the music for my thesis film, Planet Cosmo. One yes. of the song, the first song on her new album, uh, just self-titled, is called I Leave No Shadow. And that was the song that we wrote uh, January of 2020. Oh, my God. We wrote it in, in you know, uh, well, she had written it. And then we got together in January to record it and then filmed, you know, in February, right under the wire of COVID. So, um that and some other great songs are on there. There's a great replacements cover. Yeah, that's um, awesome. The Heroes of Baseball, the the second song, we're going to be doing a music video for this summer. I'm really looking forward to Hell doing it. Hell yes. Awesome. 
It's it's on Bandcamp. Give her a follow. Buy the album. It's great. It's haunting. It's beautiful. It's. I just wanted to recommend it, and I knew that with Jack here, he'd be able to help me recommend it even more. So, but uh, I will send you a link for that, Mason, and we can throw that in the show description. Thank you. Cap. Oh my God, that's so scary. Actually, scary for me. Uh, Mason, Mason, get your fucking plugs off, bro. Uh, who gives a shit? Linktree, the bar in the podcast about the shield. Uh, I had something else I wanted to plug, but I forgot about it. So maybe if I think about it, I'll put it in the description here. Um, other than that, like I said, uh, stay warm, stay healthy out there, folks. Um, take care of yourselves. Tell someone you love them. As always, black lives matter, black trans lives matter, abolish, defund the police, and fuck Joe Biden. Sorry for scaring everybody in the last couple of minutes here. I'm very tired. We'll see you all, all right. next time. Hello. See ya. My name is Steph. Bye-bye. I'm an ordinary girl. The kind of girl they write rock and roll songs about.